This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are here for another edition of the Primetime Podcast, right here on Most Valuable Podcast. The one thing I will say about our podcast, Brandon, is I over I always feel like I'm being a little bit redundant at the beginning because I say the Primetime Podcast on Most Valuable Podcasts. I feel like I'm saying podcast too close to each other. Just a random thought I had right now at the beginning of this podcast. But we are changing things up a little bit. Originally, we were going to do the Big Ten East. Matt was able to call in today. We're going to have him on later. So we're calling it Audible. We're going to do the Big Ten West this week. Next week, we will do the Big Ten East, or as I like to call it, what division, Brandon? The Beast. The Beast, because it has all the beasts in that division. The but before, before we get started, how we do the previews, if you're new, is we start from the bottom, go all the way to the top. So we'll start with Illinois, go all the way through the standings, end with the Wisconsin badges, and then we will go through each team. What do we like? What do we don't like? What do we expect? But before we get into everything, a little bit of housekeeping here at the beginning. If you want to be like Matt and be on a podcast and help support MVP, make sure to check out our Patreon page that is down below in the description, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. Also, you can help us out and rep the channel by buying an MVP t-shirt. That store is in the description, or you can go to mostvalvablepodcast.com where you can get the store as well. Most Valuable Podcast is also where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you have Apple Podcasts, you have iTunes, or you're on iTunes, Make sure to rate the Primetime Podcast five stars on iTunes. Let us know what you dig about the show. I looked recently. Overall, the Primetime Podcast has a 4.5 out of 5, which is really good. Um, but our only our only comment is still that good old boys comment, where I guess we're a couple of good old boys that only talk about the SEC. But guess what? We're not talking about the SEC today, Brandon. We are looking at the Big Ten. Let's get right into it. We're going to start with the Illinois fighting Illini. I am going to hit you like this segment for me, just bias be known. I'm an Illinois fan, so this might be very therapeutic for me, or it may not. We'll find out at the end. But, Brandon, I'm going to throw you the first question because I can't throw it to myself. Lovey Smith, this will be his third year in Champaign. He went 3-9. and Two and ten last year. He is a total of five and nineteen. Two and sixteen. Those two wins in conference coming in year one in twenty sixteen. What do you think? If you're looking into your crystal ball, what will be Lovey Smith's fate this season, and can he survive a third season in your mind? Ricky, it's really tough. The most excitement that this team has had um, around Lovey Smith was when they heard he was getting hired. I was that's, so excited. That's but that's the most excitement. Mm-hmm. He hasn't brought any excitement with the talent that he's brought or with the wins that he's brought because he's only brought five in two seasons. Yeah. And this third season doesn't give you a whole lot of hope, mm-hmm. at least not in, not in my mind. I mean, I know you're you're the guy who's really close to to mm-hmm. Illinois. You're the really big Illinois fan, but. You look at this team, and you already look, and you already think, okay, they've got to they've got to fix the quarterback situation. If they cannot do that, then really everything else from there is going to be a struggle. So, 
this is going to be tough for for Lovey. If this season goes very similar to the last two seasons, I think Lovey Smith may only have a three year run at Illinois. And at the end of the day, maybe Lovey Smith only should have a three year run at mm-hmm. Illinois if he does have a poor season this year, because Illinois has been really poor for so long, for too long, for too long at football. There has been really, like I said, limited excitement, limited attendance at games. I still remember the game I was at last season. It was a Ruck- it was the Rutgers game. Illinois lost to Rutgers. It was really bad. They played very poorly. Mm-hmm. There were not. It was not a full student section to start the game, and by halftime, they couldn't even put an eye up in the in the student section. That's how yeah, that's how bad it was. It was like the Northwestern game a couple of years ago too. It happens. It and happens, and it, it sucks for the team. But so again, that's again, a story for a different again game. for a guy like Lovey Smith, who's got NFL prominence, for a guy who had a lot of success actually in the NFL. When the Bears fired him, uh-huh. he had had a winning season. Yeah, I blame the Buccaneers. And they ruined him. <laughs> the Buccaneers the Buccaneers and Jameis Winston ruined Lovey Smith. And I guess I just I look at this and one more season of 3 wins or 2 wins mm-hmm. if there's no improvement. I mean 4 wins this season, Lovey's going to stay because you've mm-hmm. improved. You jumped up. You you you've done better than you have in each uh, of your first two years, but if they stay a same the same way, the, the same mediocrity, worse than mediocre that they have the last two seasons, I, I I personally I think I would get rid of Lovey because you can't wait then another season to mm, maybe he'll get it together. No, you got to bring in somebody else who can get it together. And like with Jeff Brom, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need Illinois to go six and six, but gosh. Five wins would be nice. Four wins would be nice. Mm-hmm. And then be able to build on that for the next season. When you win three, okay, that's not good. But then you win two the next year. You literally got worse. So Lovey right now, hot seat for me. And I think after year three, if he does not improve, he's gone. Well, I want to get to I want to get to the one question or the one statement you said at the beginning. Or question, yeah. What is there to be excited about for Illinois football? This season. And for me, it is very, very easy for me to tell you what is there to be excited about. And for me, it comes down to two wide receivers, Mikey Dudek and Ricky Smalling. These guys, like, I am expecting, first off with Dudek, this was a guy I saw come in, Nequa Valley product, come in at twenty in 2014. My first thought was, you know what, like, this guy... He's not very tall, like for a wide receiver or even a football player. Like five eleven, it's like, holy crap! He's like three inches taller than me. Like he's not that much taller than I am. But that first year, twenty fourteen, he just blew it out of the water. And it was a season where he played thirteen games, over a thousand yards. He was very excited. A thousand, one thousand one hundred and eleven yards from scrimmage. And I was like, yes, this is a wide receiver that we need. He's going to help the team. 2015 comes, and he's injured. Fuck. He's injured. ACL injury. 2016 comes. Damn it. Another ACL injury. So, for me, last year, like, played seven games, but we didn't really get that full sample from my Dudek. I want to see, first off, can't like, that's the question. Can he stay healthy? Because, like I said, 
lost a 2015 season, lost a 2016 season. One of those seasons I know he redshirted so that he wouldn't lose a year of eligibility. But it's like he is one where if he can stay healthy, he can be a weapon for this Illinois team. Then the other one I mentioned where this one kind of hits a little bit close for home for us because we're in the Chicagoland area. And this is, um, I know, back in the day when we used to follow the Chicago high school football scene when both you and I were in college, this is a guy from our backyard in Ricky Smalling where he's from the Chicagoland area. Last year had 510 yards in 11 games but was only a freshman. It was his first year getting acclimated to Big Ten play. Plus, let's really be honest, like that the Illinois team that we put out there last season, I wasn't super excited about that quarter quarterback play that we had, either between Jeff George Jr. or um, Couch and Cam Thomas kind of came in. And to me, that's the answer. You got Cam Thomas coming in. It is now his sophomore year. Really, to me, it's his job to lose. Like, he's got the job unless he royally screws it up. This could be a year offensively where Lovey Smith gets it going. He could have, and this is ideally, and I know I'm talking as an Illinois fan, and you're going to come in here and be more realistic, and please do. But if this is the perfect year, this kind of trio this year, I would not be surprised if Cam Thomas, along with Dudek and Smalling, if they're both a 1,000-yard receivers this year. The thing that's going to derail that, though, is can Illinois get a run game because we haven't had an 1,000-yard rusher in what seems like forever. It's at least been since 2013-2012 because I, in the recent history, haven't thought that any of our running backs have gone over a thousand yards, and that I think will be the Achilles heel for this offense. Will be the running backs. Now, if people haven't said it already, or screamed it, or shouted it, or mm-hmm. sworn it in a comment to me, mm-hmm. they, they've they've said that Brandon, you've been really tough on Lovey Smith, but he's look at what he's had to work with. He has dealt with consistent injuries in his first two seasons. Mm-hmm. His players have been constantly and that is completely yeah. true constantly injured at all different positions especially when you look on the offensive side mm-hmm. at wide receiver and at running back certainly i mean last year they had four running backs they couldn't keep them all yeah, healthy they're all injured i mean so that's they, they if they had four of them mm-hmm. that combined for 800 yards mm-hmm. because of injuries and they haven't had someone who's hit a thousand yards since around the 2010 season that again is there's too many things that you that you, too many stats and too many things that you see for Illinois that are just unacceptable and then you look at it and you go well no wonder they haven't won they're not even hitting the marks that a, a, a typical mm-hmm. you know running back or wide receiver or whatever should hit I mean that's they can't even get to that mark they can't even get to the century mark so I think that that's where you know it's like I I, I think. For Illinois, if they can keep these guys healthy, if you look at least on the offensive side of things, if you can stick with one guy at quarterback, again, too, I mean, I know that you're saying Cam Thomas for now, but he's, you know, there's a number of other guys. Mm-hmm. There's um, MJ Rivers, Matt Robinson, AJ Bush. They've Karan got Taylor. They've got a number of different guys there. So mm-hmm. that's first and foremost for me, looking at it, you have got to figure it out at quarterback. With that many guys, with that big of a competition, 
there's got to be somebody who's going to rise to the top, but you need to figure that out sooner than later so that they can develop a good rapport with these guys in the running back position, certainly at the wide receiver position. But before you jump in, I mm-hmm. do want to say Dudek, if he can stay healthy, Dude, is going to be he's so prize. good. He's going to be so good. If he's on the field for every game this year, I would put – what What do I want to put it on it? Let I'm I, I'm trying to think of a bet. I don't want to be like the oh I'll shave my head. Um, if he plays every game this year, I would be very confident for him to be in a thousand yard receiver. Only because I've seen it before. I've seen him be in a thousand yard receiver when he's healthy, and that was as a freshman. We don't see freshmen usually come in and do that. Um, the thing I was going to ask you is, let's say I'm using Cam Thomas as a starter for now because of this. We're bringing in a new offensive coordinator. We're bringing in um, Rod Smith, who was the assistant with Arizona last year. And one of the things that I like about this is if Cam Thomas is the guy, I personally feel like Rod Smith may be the one to be the best fit with Cam Thomas and get the most out of him. Because out of last year, out of our quarterbacks, the Quarterback who had the most rushing yards and who was the most mobile was Cam Thomas. He had, what, 52 carries last year officially, 233 yards, which was good for third on our total rushing list last year, and he wasn't even our full-time starter at quarterback for every game. When I look at last year and you look at Arizona's stats, this is a team that didn't do bad last year. They got five wins, which for Illinois fans would be like, thank you, please get us five wins. It's close to a bowl game, and then I can hope for one in 2019. But he had Khalil Tate, and we talked about Khalil Tate last year with Arizona. He was a guy that had about 1,500 yards, almost 1,600 yards through the air last year, but also about 1,400 yards on the ground. And I'm not saying Cam Thomas will boot do that same thing, but could Rob could could Rod Smith be the guy to get the most out of Cam Thomas and be like, "All right, I've worked with a dual threat quarterback like Khalil Tate. This guy is going to fit my offense nicely that I want to put into place here in Champaign." Well, Cam Thomas, you know, first and foremost, he's got to be a guy who already has those skills in those towns, mm-hmm. which it seems like he does, but it seems like again, you know, he's hasn't been the full time quarterback. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with now just being a sophomore, he has an opportunity to be that full time quarterback if he's the one who ends up being the guy. And if that's the case, then yeah, Smith is going to have a really good opportunity to work with him and for Cam uh, to get even better here. Mm-hmm. So. It's good that Smith has that experience, but it's all going to be in the guy, his progression, how he's able to learn, how you know what he's willing to do, what he's comfortable with, what he's not comfortable with. That's going to be the the first and foremost thing. But he's going to have to be, I, I think, yes, you want a guy in, in a dual threat quarterback. You want him to be able to do both things, but I think it's right now really important for Illinois to be able to open up the offense spread the ball down the field, be able to do some big plays mm-hmm. or and, and, and produce some big plays. Again, with Dudek kind of being the guy, because I look at him, there's been so many good flashes from him. We've seen so many flashes, but again, so many injuries. Mm-hmm. To be able to get a full season or f- close to a full season from Mike Dudek, 
that I think then puts um, confidence into the quarterback that they can rely on this guy. They're going to go to this guy. This is going to be a go-to guy, and you've got a rapport with him. Mm-hmm. So that's the I think the number one thing. And, and and while you may be wanting Smith to okay, you want to see fifteen hundred pass yards out of Thomas. You want to see fourteen hundred rush yards out I'm of him. I'm just using I, that I, as like I'd a say, model, not as a target. Sure, sure. I I would say I want to see him be more of a quarterback here because mm-hmm. Illinois needs more of a quarterback. They need a guy who is able to get his receivers the ball, get them involved, and move the ball down the field. That's what they've been missing. They've been missing someone who can just move the ball down the field. And for him to be a dual threat mm-hmm. where he can do it himself as well with his legs, that's very important. But I think, number one, they, he's got to develop the rapport with the receivers and the running backs too because Lovey Smith wants his running backs to be catching the football. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Well, and a quote from Lovey on that, running backs catching the football, he said in a <clears> quote, it's a priority. Like, that's the one thing he's been saying. And for me, the one thing out of the quarterback, before I get on into the defense, because I want to talk about them a little bit, the last two things I'll say about the offense is, one, from the quarterback, the main thing I expect and want this year is don't turn over the damn ball. Last year, if I go through the numbers, Jeff Jeff George Jr., 10 interceptions, only gave me seven touchdowns. Couch had, um, or Crouch had four interceptions, Thomas had five interceptions, and Thomas didn't even throw a touchdown pass last year. Cam Thomas only had one on the ground as well. So for the offensive quarterback, get your guys the ball, get in the end zone. Number two, don't give the other team the ball. And I know that's like, duh, Ricky, that's how you play football. But for a team like Illinois, I feel like you got to dumb it down that low sometimes. The last thing I'll say about the offense is the offensive line, it'll be interesting to see them because last year they were starting four freshmen and a guy who I it's been like, I was like, holy crap, he's still on this team <laughs> because I remember covering the recruiting class that he came in when I was with writingalini.com for the fan-sided um, side of things. Um, Nick, Nick Allegretti is the only senior on that offensive line. So it'll be interesting to see how they improve in 2018. But like using that to segue into the defense, to me, the two points with the defense, it's simple. Number one, they were inexperienced last year. They were starting a ton of freshmen. If I just go through our depth chart, both of our defensive ends were freshmen last year. Two out of our three linebackers were freshmen last year. You have our nickelback was a freshman. You have one of our safeties and one of our um, cornerbacks was a freshman last year. Like these are guys that were in the starting lineup for most of the part. And I look at right now, it looks like we are going to have like maybe three juniors and one transfer senior be the starters for this defense. So for me, that's the one thing is. Is this defense still going to be way too inexperienced having a bunch of sophomores? And number three, I mean, yes, our defensive coordinator, um, Nickerson, has hit on it when he goes, like, he wants to really improve on first and second down run game. And me as a fan, I just look at that and go, well, when, when are we? Because it seems like since, like, 2012, 2013, Big Ten running backs have just come in and, like, I remember watching Melvin Gordon come in and play us. It's like, oh, we can beat Wisconsin, and Melvin Gordon torched us. Or it's like, oh, they have a good running back? We're not going to win this game. So, I mean, 
that's the big thing for me is how does this defense get more how do they play as a more experienced unit in year two because most of them were freshmen and also can we kind of stand up against the run because like I said or I'm going to say in the Purdue segment because we kind of record them out of order the Big Ten usually has running backs that can do their job especially other teams have had running backs that can do their job. So, Ricky, one of the things with Illinois that I want to bring up and that I noticed big time in the game that I was at last season, I Mm -hmm. know that you can't can't go by just one game, but this is all I have to go by of games that I actually saw live in person. Illinois needs to stop somebody, Mm -hmm. somebody on third down. That was one of the biggest things is that Got to get they them off could the field. not. They could not get their defense off the field, and on third down, Rutgers was not only converting, but they were getting big plays, like mm-hmm. chunks, like twelve yards, yep. fifteen yards, twenty yards mm-hmm. on third down. Illinois last season they ranked a hundred and fifth on third down conversion percentage as a defense. Teams were converting on third down almost forty four percent of the time. That's too high. That is way too high. You are allowing way too much good to happen for the other team on third down. A, a a huge down for your defense. And for a team like Illinois where you've been struggling, you, you haven't been good, you need your offense to get the ball, you're probably down. Your defense cannot be doing that. So they have got to stop somebody on third down this season. That, that, that 105th rank mm-hmm. has got to be better. They, they have got to be better because if they're not, we're yet again going to see Lovey's team struggle mightily. I see two wins. Like, oh, look, boy. I'm looking at the schedule, and first off, the first three games to me reminds me of what year was it? I think it was 2015. No, 2014. I was off by a year, wasn't I? Um, no, it was 2013. Um, 2013, I'll take you back in the way back machine. Was it 2013? 2013 or 2014? I think it was 20... Let's see where this game was played. Um, it doesn't matter. They both turned out the same way. 2013-2014, we had a home and away against um, Washington. Um, the 2013 season is the one I'm thinking about, though, because it was here at home. But he, just hear me out here. We play Southern Illinois week one that year. We win. We play Cincinnati that next week. We win. We start the year 2-0. We're feeling confident. Then we come in September 14th. It was a Saturday night, like a Saturday twilight game, I think is the right time for it, where it was like the sun's just coming down in Chicago. It ended just before nightfall against number 19, Washington. And this game was in Chicago, and I'm hyped. I'm like, cool. This is where we put Illinois on the map. We put on a show for all these Chicago recruits. Tim Beckman's going to get it done. And we lost 34 to 24, but the game was not really that close um, throughout the entire thing. I see this year. Oh, by the way, little trivia question for you. Can you tell me who the running back was for the Huskies that year? I'll give you a hint. He was drafted by the Titans and never panned out in the NFL. What year was that? 
2013. He is currently on the Minnesota Vikings. He played three years for Washington at running back. And he played two years for the Tennessee Titans in 2014 and 2015. He was a second-round pick for the Titans in 2014. I'm trying to think of guys that didn't pan out for the Titans. Um, I don't know. You're you're Catholic, right? Yeah. His first name is a title within the Catholic religion. Starts with a B. It's also a name of a chess piece. This piece usually moves diagonally. His first name's Bishop. Do you remember his last name? Bishop Sankey. Bishop Sankey was their running back for Washington. It was his second year at Washington before his last year. And like I was confident He was he was on my fantasy team yep. at, at one point and man he stunk. <laughs> he was terrible. But he was good in college. Uh I was confident going into halftime because we were only down ten to three and I'm like, cool, we got this. And then they tore the doors open. They scored twenty one points on us. Yeah, we kept to fourteen, but we never really had that game in 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 it. But so, my point is getting to a point yeah, yeah, is yeah. I can see this being the same way as that season, those the first three games. I can see us beating Kent State. I can see us beating the Leathernecks of Western Illinois. And then we play Charlie Strong and his South Florida Bulls in Chicago. You gotta win. Like if you're Lovey, you have to win that game. And I know we lost to South Florida last year, but you have to win that game, especially when I believe when Lovey came in, one of the big things he talked about was kind of getting a stranglehold on the Chicago recruiting scene. Is if you're going to come and play in Chicago, is that where they're playing? They're playing in Chicago for they're, that for that South Florida game. It is in Chicago. Are they playing at uh, Soldier Field? I believe so. I believe so. I believe that is in Soldier Field. It is definitely in Chicago, though, for sure. And I, cool. I, I, I look at that game and I go, you have to win that game. You have to win it. Yeah, it's at Soldier Field. Soldier Field on September 15th. It's going to be a 2.30 kickoff. So, Ricky, here's what I, here's what I want to get to. So... I know I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast when you asked me my question. I I, I think, you know, if Lovey doesn't get anything going here mm-hmm. in, in year three, I mean, if he doesn't, in my opinion, if he doesn't have four wins, why, why keep him? Why retain him? Mm-hmm. But then here's going to be the question of the fans. Here's going to be the question of the critics. Here's going to be then the, I think, I, I want to say the defense mm-hmm. of then people who want to try and keep Lovey on. It's that, well, he's got. They gave him a six-year contract. Yeah. Some people are going to say, you know what? They ex- they gave him a six-year contract because they didn't expect him to get a whole lot done in his first couple of years. There's the def- there's the defense. Mm-hmm. The cri- the critics and the critique will be, okay, but you're not seeing any movement. You're not seeing any progress forward. Why keep on a guy who cannot at least build each year? And then you'll see people who say, well, history shows that uh, Illinois head coaches have done really well in year three. Mm -hmm. So give him at least this year because he'll be able to turn it around. And then if he doesn't, if he breaks the mold that was Ron Turner, Ron Zook, and um, 
what's his face? Who was the Tim last Beckman. guy? Tim Beckman. Well, don't forget. Well, technically, it was Bill Cubitt because Cubitt had a year after Tim Beckman. Okay. So if it doesn't happen then this year for Lovey where he has success, the question might be and might come again from the critics, mm-hmm. well, he broke that mold. When is the success going to come? But you look at that six-year contract, and I think it's okay to break it. It's okay to break that six-year contract. If he is not the guy that's panning out for you, why keep on a guy that's not going to bring you constant and consistent success? And, Ricky, as a fan, as a fan, and I know, it's, and I know it's not all about what the fans think, but as a fan, you've got to be frustrated. You've, you started out 3-9. and nine. Okay, that's not good. But you, you, know, you know you weren't going to be great right away. You got to get to the next point. You know, what's the next point for Illinois? It was two wins. It was two wins. You went backwards. You went backwards. And now you've got year three. And maybe I'm, you know, just ranting here. And Illinois is going to win six games this season. But I highly doubt it. We're not going to win six games this year. But this year for sure, kind of to Quentin Tarantino bring this whole podcast full circle. Question I asked you at the beginning. Does Lovey last through this year? Yes. And the reason why I say yes is because for me, the biggest thing from last year, you can't expect that team last year to win games. Why? Not only uh, the injuries, I'm not even going to mention because every team gets injured. But for me, the big part of it is most of our team was inexperienced. Four out of five offensive linemen were freshmen. I would be generous and say half of our defense were freshmen last year. The majority of our players last year that got time were freshmen. So in this third year, what's the expectation for those freshmen now in sophomore year? To me, I think the judgment year is next year. The year you're talking about, because... I don't care that he got six years. If you're not getting it done after four, something needs to be reevaluated here. Like the the years on a contract, I know like contract and money, like if you get rid of them beforehand, you got to give them the money. I don't care about that because I don't have to deal with that. I just as a fan want to see W's on my computer screen and not big fat red L's. And for me, I feel like next year will be the year where it's like, hey, you know what? Lovey Smith, what are you going to do? Because most of those pe- most of those freshmen are now going to be juniors. When they're upperclassmen, that's a different story. You're bringing in a guy to be your offensive coordinator that you feel like will do better because Lovey's never been an offensive-minded guy. He's always been a defensive-minded guy. Here's this doesn't help this year, but I want to throw this out. I want to throw out a just to end this segment I want to throw out a big what if, and I want you to give me your A thoughts on it, and if I'm crazy for thinking this. If Lovey, let's say, can't get it done this year, they get two wins this year, and can't get it done next year. If Jim Harbaugh is fired by Michigan at the end of next year, should Illinois make a hard play at it, and could we eventually see Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines in Champaign? All right, so I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to be fired. So that doesn't. Well, I'm not saying fired I, after this year, after next year. I know, but I, I guess I just, I see him turning it around 
You know, Michigan we'll, had a down season. We'll I, I would see him week. probably turning it around. But uh, would Illinois and should Illinois make a hard push for the him? The first one's yes. Yes. Should they? Yes. Um, but I don't think that you will probably ever see Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines of, of Illinois. I just, I, I, I don't think it would. I don't think it would happen. I don't think it would happen. And now would some people have said. He'll, he'll go to Seattle and take Pete Carroll's job just to. Give Pete Carroll one more dagger in the side. But what I was going to say is that at the same time, I guess a lot of times you wouldn't have thought, oh, I, I didn't think that Jim Harbaugh would have left the 49ers and then gone and mm-hmm. been with Michigan. But he did. And he turned that Michigan program around pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I guess that that's where you look at you you look at some of that some of that success versus the non-successes. Jim Harbaugh. He was a college guy. He went into the NFL, and he had success in the NFL. and And he had unfortunately a run in, uh, a poor run in with with ownership. He leaves there. He goes back to college, and he has fairly quick success with Michigan. And he's a great recruiter, so that really helped. Lovey Smith. He was an NFL guy. He had success with the Chicago Bears. Hold on, I've got a good well, point. I just I, I, I'm just I'm on a I'm on a roll here. So let me keep going. And then he has success there. He's fired after a successful season with the Bears. They've been terrible since. And he comes to Illinois, and I think that sometimes, one, you're excited because you're getting a head coach that was from the NFL, that knows what he's doing, that's had success, that's had good defenses. We've got him. He's going to be good. And we expect recruits wanting to play for him. Yes, and guys will want to play for this guy. Oh, he's not having success like Harbaugh had. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's also where fans get a little, uh, what's going on? Because you want to make the mm-hmm. parallels, and I get you it. You can't. But you can't, you can't. do it. And the reason, you can't do it. The reason why you can't is Illinois is a completely different team than Michigan. Michigan had more pieces for Harbaugh to work with, whereas, like, we were even talking about after Beckman, the whole thing that went on and why he got fired players were it was like an exodus players were transferring because they saw it as a toxic situation which it was and by the time illinois cut the head off the drag like cut the head off the fish the fish had, <laughs> the dragon the, the dragon, fish, the, fish the, the whatever the, lizard. the fish had already rotted from the head down so like lovey wasn't coming into the best situation <laughs> in dragon. general the one thing I want to correct you is when you said Lovey wasn't a college guy. Yes, this is his first head coaching college job, but he was a college assistant from 1983 to 1995. I know it's been a while, but he was like a linebacker's coach in that at like Ohio State, Arizona State, before going on to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneer linebacking coach. In I guess 96. my reference was yeah. more to the head coaching, which exactly. where Harbaugh had been. And, and Lovey had, like, had not. But. Like, I'll be completely honest. My reference is that, too. Like, he was five. I was five when he wasn't five. I was five when Lovey Smith was at Ohio State. But I just wanted for we may have older listeners who may be like, whoa, 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 don't be. He was in college, but this is his first head coaching stint where more responsibility than just a linebacking coach in college. But. This is probably going to be our longest one just because I'm an Illinois fan and I usually this is very therapeutic for me. Was it therapeutic? For Do you the, feel better? A little bit. Um, <laughs> here, here's the last question I want to ask you. Um, 
That's uh, and I'm going to ask you this on the air to kind of put some pressure on you. You always do. Um, this is the September 15th game at Soldier Field between South Florida and Illinois. Just so you know, grandstand seats, row eight, we can go 65 bucks a pop. So if you're interested, we can go see Illinois and Charlie Strong, Lovey Smith and Charlie Strong. But heads at Soldier Field on September 15th. Well, maybe we could. Maybe then we could just <laughs> stay that, down there. Maybe the Bears are playing that weekend and we could uh, uh, get some Bears tickets. Maybe we could. Maybe, maybe we, we could. could. We would be poor after, of course, but uh, we could try to do it. You know what? Right on this preview, we're just going to go ahead and look. I Are the Bears, uh, that would be week two of the football season. I'm going to look that up right now. We're going to make those plans right now. They are, ooh, they are at home, but it's not. It's the Monday night game, I believe. They're playing the Seattle Seahawks. CX. That's a Monday nighter. So it's not a Sunday game. It's a Monday game that week for the Bears. But this is where you guys We'd have in. to take off work. Illinois Bummer. Fans, That'd be so tough. And let us know what you think. What are you excited for? What are you not excited for? Do you want Lovey to be fired? Because there's that camp out there. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. But, Brandon, let's move on into the next team we're talking about. And that is the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And this one's easy. This one's an easy first question for you, B, because P.J. Fleck rowed the boat. He came over from Western Michigan, and the boat didn't row much. The offense (laughs) struggled. This run-pass option that P.J. Fleck wanted to run, it kind of struggled. They only scored 22 points per game, which was 108th in the nation, and they were really bad in their passing game last year, ranking 122nd yards per game at about 126 per contest. I want to ask you, does the looking at the offense first, but really PJ Fleck as a whole, does this season for does this team for Minnesota will they improve and get better year two? for the Fleckmeister, and will they be rowing the boat in 2018? I think so. I, I think that this this team definitely has an opportunity to to get better here. And there there, there were some positives from, from the offense. You know, you, you talk about the run-pass, you know, offense and everything like that. And now, mm-hmm. while the pass wasn't all that effective or good, and you can work on a lot of things there, the, the, run, the run game wasn't bad. They had a, about 102, 183 yards per game. They were they ranked 46th in running in rushing offense. So that's good. They can definitely make some improvements there. And that's, that's something that Minnesota can hang their hat on and say, okay, guys, mm-hmm. if you're going to look at something on this offense, and on an offense that's, that's struggled, what, what can we look at and say, okay, this wasn't so bad. We can be happy with this. We can still improve and want to improve, but we mm-hmm. can be happy with this. And I, I'd say that, that that's the running game. So there's something good to look at. But with P.J. Fleck, and I know that there's a, there was a lot of, again, excitement with him coming over to Minnesota and you know rowing the boat, as you say. He's got time. He's got time. And and I know that people will say, well, Brandon, what about Lovey Smith? Doesn't he have time? Lovey Smith is a different story, and we already talked about him. But going 5-7, and seven, you got two wins in, in conference. Mm-hmm. No, that's not good. But 5-7, and seven, this team had to take some steps back. They had to take some steps back. And a lot of times, to move forward, that's exactly what you have to do. So PJ Fleck is a is a young guy. He's a he's a creative mind, and I think Minnesota can feel confident with him at the helm moving forward. And you'd like to believe that they might be able to take a step forward in 
this next season under him. Well, I'll tell you, Minnesota fans are probably hoping that they're going to take a step forward this season in the football ranks because this was a team that was an eight-win team just two seasons ago. Like before P.J. Fleck came in, before they moved on from Tracy Clay's, this was an eight-win team. And the thing that I I get back to is you kind of bring up the Lovey Smith thing. Like, oh, well, he doesn't have time, but P.J. Fleck does. Yeah, it's only a second year. But there was so much hype for P.J. Fleck coming in, um, especially after how well he did at Western Michigan. Of course, he had Corey Davis. And when you got a first-round draft pick as your wide receiver, that's going to help. But the question I have for this offense is I'll give you a good, and then I'll give you my question. The good is that they got Rodney Smith, the senior running back. He's a guy that's going to have over 1,000 all-purpose yards, maybe even 1,500 all-purpose yards this year. He'll probably break the school record because he was close last year. My question, though, is at quarterback because when this team entered spring ball, they had two guys. They had a transfer student in Vic Veramontes, and then they had a redshirt freshman in Tanner Morgan. Neither of these guys have thrown, or had thrown, I should say, an FBS pass. Well, Viramontes in June said, or Viramontes in June said, ah, I'm going to go to junior, I'm going back to junior college. So Tanner Morgan is the likely starter for this Golden Gopher team. That is my question of, now we talked about an experience with the Illini. Yes, Morgan was with the team last year. He was a redshirt freshman this year. However, I wouldn't be too confident throwing out a redshirt freshman into games, especially with some of the teams that you might have to see this year. Like Penn State's going to be a tough one. Nebraska's going to be a tough one. Or Wisconsin. Or pardon me, I'm looking at an old schedule. Let me pull it up. Oh, even worse. You get Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Purdue. Luckily, they're all at the end of the year. But is that of, is that lucky? At that they're at the end and not the beginning. I would rather have those three last three of the year than what Purdue has. And I'd rather have them in the up. middle. I'd rather have him in the middle. I don't want to start off with the toughest. I don't want to end with the toughest. I I want to have him in the middle. With with a guy like Morgan and redshirt freshman is what I mean by that. Give me those at the end because I want as many games for this guy to develop as a quarterback as possible. One of the only bad things is October 13th and October 20th, you got to go to Columbus to play the Buckeyes. Not a chance you win that game with a redshirt freshman. Urban Meyer will have that team eat have that defense eating Morgan for dinner that night or that day because it'll probably be a day game. And then you go into Nebraska, going into Lincoln, and we don't know what Scott Frost is going to have for the Cornhuskers this year. They could be improved. So, I mean, the schedule, not the hardest, yet not the easiest for a first-year quarterback, a freshman coming in for this Golden Gopher team. Yeah, but here's another thing, though, too, is that how many options is he going to have? How many options Mm -hmm. is he going to have to look at? Because you look at Tyler Johnson is kind of the lock there at receiver Mm -hmm. who's, you know, been kind of the guy. but Leads the team in everything. But what else do you have around him? Mm -hmm. You know, what that's where I'm saying in terms of what other options do you have. I think you're going to be – 
getting a whole lot of help from the offensive line standpoint mm-hmm. because they've got depth at this offensive line and they're adding huge guys. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely big dudes. They've got one guy at 6'9", 400 pounds. And yep. then the small guy, the small guy is Falele. 6'5", 370. Mm-hmm. The small guy. Yeah, that's so Curtis Dunlap. That should be plenty of protection mm-hmm. on the offensive line for for Morgan, but the bigger question to me is who's he going to have to be to be able to throw the football to? And that's where then you kind of go to Rodney Smith and say, hey, Rodney, you know how we've been leaning on you a lot with the running stuff? Mm-hmm. We're going to lean on you more. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to make you do everything. And, 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 and that's and, why I say all purpose, because he's going to catch the ball, too. And Smith, again, you know, like you said, all, all purpose. And he had almost 1,300 all purpose yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, look for that number to go up, though, this next year. I'm because saying if, 1,500. If, if, if you're if you're adding on these two big, mm-hmm. big offensive linemen, you're looking for number of ways for them to drive guys back mm-hmm. uh, at, at the at the point of attack there yep. and and absolutely just win the battle in the trenches. That should go to those two guys. Should it won't always, but you should see a lot of running lanes and 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 Rodney Smith should be able to see a lot of running lanes and a lot of holes to be able to do what he does. And they're gonna have to get him like like you mentioned alluded to earlier. They're gonna have to get him a whole lot more involved from the passing game. We we may see even above fifteen hundred yards this year from him if he stays healthy. Again, it's all about staying healthy too. Now the thing that you know Minnesota fans are gonna bring up is so they finished five and seven last year, but there's really two games: Maryland last year, well three games I'll say: Maryland, Michigan State, and Iowa last year. All could have gone the other way. They win those three games. They're an eight-win team. You got Maryland where they only lost by a touchdown, 31-24. You've got Michigan State who they only lost to by a field goal. And then you got Iowa, another touchdown game, 17-10. And I'm on the side of doesn't matter, you lost. But I will throw it out there that, you know, you flip those tougher games and you're an eight-win team. And then we're not having this conversation because it's like, oh, this was an eight-win team in 2016. They're an eight-win team in 2017. But I just I look at the schedule this year because the defense, to me, the defense is going to be fine for this team. This defense was good last year. They are returning guys like Coughlin at the defensive end, like Barber at linebacker, like Winfield Jr. at safety. This defense was good last year. They could get better this year. They are going to be fine. To me, the true question is the offense and how they do with a freshman quarterback, a redshirt freshman, but still a freshman quarterback behind center and running that offense. But then I look at the schedule and really it's, to me, the big question is you should go, they should go 3-0 in the non-conference. I don't see any of the first three non-conference games that should give them any trouble. Maybe Miami of Ohio, but not really. Then it's how do you do? Can you beat Maryland this year, who you lost to last year? Can you beat Iowa? Because I expect Iowa to be better than they were last year. Because the Iowa team last year was not the same Iowa team that we're used to seeing. How do you do it on the road against Ohio State and against Nebraska? 
Then you got like, okay, two games. Indiana will be tough. Illinois should be an easy win in Champaign. Then, all right, murderous road, top three of your division. How do you do against Purdue and Northwestern? Thank God you got those at home. And then in Madison to close the year against Wisconsin. I think Minnesota, as at a best-case scenario, could win six games this season. Okay. And that would be the first three games of the season. Actually, uh, with 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 the could, I think they should win those those first three games. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying that you should win the first three, but it may not happen, and possibly could win the first four. With with Iowa, yeah. Well, and, with, and, and again, with Iowa or with Maryland? No, with Iowa. Okay. Excuse me. Excuse me, I, I was missing New Mexico State. The schedule wasn't all the way at the yeah. top, so my fault. So, you win the first three for sure. Mm-hmm. Maryland on the road could win that one. Iowa could win that one. So, there's five, maybe. And then Illinois, and that's it. I'm going to go four. I'm going to go four or five. And the thing that I'm looking at is the first four. Like, the first four are my... The first three... You'll win. Illinois, you'll win. That's your first year fours, non conference in Illinois. Then the question is Maryland to me. Like Maryland and Iowa, I don't think you get both of them. I think you could get one of them. And that's where the five comes in. Like this is a team we'll be looking, same record as last year. However, we will not be as down on them because it'll be like, all right, the defense was good yet again. But they had an inexperienced quarterback. Expect them to be better with Morgan in year two. So PJ Fleck has come out and he has said, Ricky, that he is not ex- he is not at all concerned with wins. He is not at all concerned with losses here mm-hmm. in year two. Oh well, yeah, because he's and, not and a he's, favorite to win the division. And he's <clears throat> no, but I'm saying in general, he's come out and he said he doesn't he doesn't really mm-hmm. care about the wins and losses. He's more focused on being able to make this team better, develop this team, and and get them to a point where people can 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 look at them and I think probably have some pride in the team. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? What do you think about a guy who comes out and says it's a load of to, crock. To, to the media that I don't care crock. about wins and I don't care about losses. I care about developing the team. I am going to say something that my grandmother used to say. Um, and for those of you who do not like swearing, it does have a swear in it. So I am warning you. I hear a quote like that where it's like, I don't care about wins. And I just think of what my grandma would say. You're full of shit if you eat regularly. Like, to me, it should... Because you want to know who cares about wins? Fans in the board. Fans in the AD. Fans and who is going to fire you if you don't win those games. So, I mean, that's what I hate. Like, coaches the, so that the, come the out and say So, the AD again. Exactly. The, well, and also, we've seen, like, in other situations where ADs have been pressured by the board... Yeah. To fire because, hey, we're giving this school money. Why are we not putting a good product out there? What is this guy doing out there? And the funny thing is, this is more of an NFL side of it, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. Eric Mangini was on the herd today, and it was funny to hear him talk because he's like, you know, like the funny thing about they were talking ownership in the NFL. And he goes, the funny thing is, it's like he's like when I was at the Jets or it could have been with the Browns, one of the two. Um, he goes, we had a game where I'm getting the game plan together. I go and meet with ownership, and they go, yeah, you know what? We really want to throw the ball more against this team. And he goes, are you sure? Because this team's like the 30th run defense in the league. He, they go, no, no, no. We want to run the ball more. Then after the game, he's like, I don't even know if they won or lost. But he goes, after the game, 
they came up to me and was like, why did we pass the ball so much? Why didn't we run? He goes, you told me you wanted to pass the ball more. So that's what I did. So, I mean, there's that too in college where like if a board is like, hey, they pressure the AD, it all comes down in the ends to wins and losses. Now, do I expect coaches to go, yeah, I look at the schedule and think, oh, we got to win this game, got to win that game. No, that's for us to do. That's for us idiots to do with the microphones. But, I mean, I hear that. I hear coaches say that, and I just say, it's a crock because, of course, you care about winning games because that's how you keep your job in the end. How many coaches has it been like, well, Bill, you know, you haven't won a game in eight years, but we just love having you around, man. <laughs> you make the man, you make these kids so good, you know, they really love you. So I mean, I know we haven't won a game in eight years, but you know, you're a good guy. We're gonna keep No, we'd be gone after three years. So I mean, yeah, I get a little ranty with it's that. There's no way but... to talk about Kansas's head coach. <laughs> True. Because they haven't won a game in eight years, or it seems. But yeah, I mean, I'm really not into that. For me, like Am I saying P.J. Flex is going to get fired? Hell no. But it's one of those things where four to five wins is what I see this year, and we're not going to look that down on them. Yeah, I think we're only looking down on them compared to last year because of all the hype coming into last year. They were an eight-win team. He had success with Western Michigan, and then they only win five games. I see four or five again, but at the same time, like I said, their quarterback is inexperienced, and I'm not expecting a lot out of him that Nebraska game could flip but I really I really see the wins coming if they do win six it comes from the first five in Illinois what are your final thoughts before we move on into the next team for our preview I think if Minnesota and PJ Fleck if they can develop some good pieces on offense outside of the ones that we already mentioned then we could see this offense get better uh, certainly from the passing side, the, the the run game, if the run game gets better, mm-hmm. that's that's just a, a, a plus. But it really they really need to get better well, through the be- air. They'll beat Illinois because Rod- Rodney Smith will torch our defense because we can't stop a nosebleed <laughs> on the run game. It's just fact. It's it's number one for Minnesota this year, at least from an offensive standpoint, is, okay, find who uh, what other wide receivers are going to step up. Utilize that offensive line, which should be pretty strong for for Minnesota and then consistency in the passing game mm-hmm. in a good way and get Tanner Morgan uh, you know a ton of reps and have him feeling comfortable and let's see that uh, that that those offensive numbers go up from 22 points a game to you know 25 maybe 26 uh, if if they could do that that'd be a, a huge jump for them but something that I think they'd be able to hang their hat on. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Are you guys excited for my for Minnesota? I almost said Miami football. Minnesota football this year. What can we expect from Morgan and Flack? Morgan inexperienced at quarterback. Flack in year two as head coach of the Golden Gophers. What do you think about the schedule? Let us know down below in that comment section. And Brandon, let's move on. The next team we are looking at is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And earlier this year, when did this video get posted by us? It was uploaded on May 12th. Um, so early May, um, we put out a video about Nebraska and Scott Frost. You were not on that video, by the way. That was one I can't remember what you were doing, um, but you weren't on it. Sean filled in for you. Was that, that one? Of, was that one of my many suspensions? It could have been. It could have been your first <laughs> suspension of the year. But 
the question that we ask then, and it'll be the first question I open up now, which, by the way, since May 12th, this video that I'm looking at has 5,908 views. So I'm expecting this preview on YouTube to get more than that. I'm expecting Cornhusker fans just to flood in to this video. But the first question I want to ask you when it comes to Nebraska is the same one we asked many moons ago. Can Scott Frost turn around Nebraska football this season? No. All right. Not this season. And you want to know why I say that? Why? Because an ex- I would love for you to because tell me why. Ex- I hate when you go, no. And then you just leave the pause for our audio listeners. No. Like, and and here's here's and it's because of this exact quote that Frost said. Mm-hmm. In order for Nebraska football to return to its glory days, quote, we've got to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. Fix everything. And if you have to fix everything, I don't see you turning it around in year one. And that's okay. That's okay. But what what I like about that from a fan standpoint is he's being honest. He's not sugarcoating anything. He's not saying. Well, you know, you know, I'm excited to be here, and we've got a lot of you know potential and stuff like that. And and, and he may think that he mm-hmm. may have every reason to think that there's potential and there's good things to see beyond the horizon that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But it's nice to know that a guy is honest and says, "Man, this sucks." You know, we've we have got to make severe well, changes that's to I, to what we're doing right now and I how things have been him. done. That's what I love about him. He'll give it to like. I would love, like, if I was a student in college, like, maybe it's a different experience because you and I went to a smaller school than Nebraska, but, like, if I was working with that football team, like, as a reporter, I feel like Scott Frost would be, like, a great coach to interview, because, you know, with your experience in college, you interviewed the head coach of the football team every week for the radio um, pregame show, I feel like he'd be a great guy to sit down with every week because he'd give it to you clean, and he'd need he wouldn't bullshit basically. And you appreciate that with with mm-hmm. head coaches, you know that you appreciate when they're they're honest with you because if they're being honest with you, imagine what they're saying to their players. Mm-hmm. You know they're being brutally honest with them, but that's what makes a player better. But that's also what makes a player buy into a system mm-hmm. because this guy is not feeding me a line of crap. This mm-hmm. guy is telling me I need to be better. He's telling me I need to be better, and he's screaming at me to be better because he truly wants me to be better he wants me to work my tail off and do that and, and all those things aside well, then i'm gonna go interrupt ahead, go you ahead. really quick because it's like the um have you seen the instagram video of the strength and condition strength and conditioning coach from the oregon ducks i have not he sent out a video on instagram to his players where i guess they have like it's the 40 day challenge or whatever and it's basically like don't be lazy like Put in your tries, put in your your buy exercises, and he's in Hawaii for a vacation, hiked up to a mountain, did curls with a like um, exercise band, and the whole video he's like, "What are you doing? You're just watching this at home. You're criticizing me. You're sitting there at home watching this video. What are you doing? Have you put in your tries? Have you put in your buys?" And then he said the best line that I've ever heard that I am gonna now live my life by. Hashtag fill the sleeve, Brandon. Hashtag filled the sleeve. And he gave a great quote on Dan Patrick where he said, because Dan Patrick's like, every picture you're not wearing a sleeve. So how do you fill the sleeve? He goes, it's ever never ending then. It's never ending because the sleeve is infinity. 
That's that's what it's like if you never wear sleeves. So next podcast, I might just rip all the sleeves off my T-shirt. Yeah? I might go sleeveless. You think so? I might. We'll see. But back to Scott Frost. The question I have about uh, oh, this team. Oh, hold on really quick before you say okay. that because you cut me out before. Sorry, is I that forgot. What I wanted to say and that what's even better with Scott Frost is mm-hmm. the fact that this guy is also a winner. You know he knows he's a national champion. He, he knows how to win, and while his team is not a national championship winner, <laughs> he wins. He knows he knows how to win games, and that's that's important because when I, I, I've made this comment many times before, for guys that come from Alabama, mm-hmm. Kirby Smart, uh, you know, or like the Scott Pruitts, wherever they go, I mean, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily even have to be head coaches. They just wherever they go, they know they're coming from a winning system. They want to be winners they will be winners the the urban myers guys like that they, kiffin they will be winners mm-hmm. scott frost fits that mold he is a winner and he will win and guys will really uh, i i think uh, be attracted to that and go to that because they want to win too and if they believe that a guy is you know coming coming from a winning system, has put together winning teams, has been able to do it, clearly has seen success, guys will gravitate to that. And I think that this Nebraska Cornhusker team mm-hmm. is not he's not going to turn it around this year. Not in one year. It's not gonna it's not gonna happen. But look for next year. Look for next year. And I think that we're gonna see, especially if they start a true freshman at quarterback this year. Oh, they see are. what see what he does. It's, it's either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. I'm just, take I, your I, pick. What, I'm just saying, yeah. if you see that this season in sophomore year number two, mm-hmm. especially if this season is a successful one, look for that jump to be made by by the quarterback and really in year two you could see this team getting back to close to its glory days. The quarterback situation is very similar, very similar to what we talked about with Minnesota. The only difference is there's two of them instead of one of them. So at least you got something to pick from because they've got and Cornhusker fans. Let me know if I'm wrong with this. They have red shirt fresh freshman Tristan Gabia. And then they also have true freshman Adrian Martinez. So it's like, which one, A, wins the job, which one do you want? Do you want the redshirt freshman or do you want the true freshman? Neither one screams confidence for me. Like, And that's a reason why, like, kind of rethinking what I said in the Minnesota uh, preview where I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think Minnesota will beat them. I still don't think Minnesota will beat the Cornhuskers, but it's closer than I probably made it seem in that last segment. And – the two questions that I have is one quarterback and then defense. It's this is another year where like they put down players that are 50 year starters on this team. This is now their third defensive coordinator, another new defensive coordinator for this team. So to me, it's inexperienced at quarterback. And then what's this defense going to look like with another new coordinator for this Husker team? Well, I think that it can't be any worse than what they have had because let's see. Talking about the defense? Yeah. Yeah. 436 yards per game Mm -hmm. and 36 points per game. That's That's what the defense gave up. No wonder they're not winning games. 
I mean, the, the offense, which has some really solid pieces at running back and wide receiver, mm-hmm. they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance because no matter what they're putting up, there's the team on the other side that's putting w- up even more I points. I was going to say that. Since October 7th last year, so they start off 3-2 and two last year. Since that mark, 38 points they gave up against Wisconsin. 56 points they gave up against Ohio State. And you're thinking, ah, that's Ohio State, whatever. Then they get a good one, Purdue, they only give up 24. Oh, Northwestern, you only give up 31. Then their last three, Minnesota, you give up 54. Penn State, you give up 56. Yeah, you scored 44, but you gave up 56. And then Iowa, you gave up 56 yet again. Those three games alone... You're giving up over 50 points per game. That ain't good. You ain't going to win games if the other team is getting over the half century. And you ain't going to keep your job if you're the defensive coordinator. It's just not going to happen. Which was point proven because he he gone. Bye. Yeah, I mean, but but see, that's the thing. I mean, that is is ridiculous, Mm -hmm. and it's certainly unacceptable. Yep. And I don't see... I don't see that happening under Scott Frost. You may they may they will lose games. But I don't give up. But I don't see them getting blown out. You know, fifty six to whatever. I mean, that's that that if you score forty four points, you should win the freaking game. I mean, that's (laughs) just come on. But but that's again, you look at all that stuff, and it's almost to the point of whatever Scott Frost does this season, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I, I think fans will be like, oh my gosh, good. That's that's really good. That we only lost twenty to fourteen. That's exciting. You know, I, I think that I think that again, it's a name. It's a it's a it's a good name. It's a it's a popular name in Scott Frost at head coach. It's great. It's a younger guy with a lot of energy and again a crafty mind, and a guy who again knows how to win. Coming to a team that has pieces, but also that needs improvements. And they're going to be improvements that I think should, I don't want to say quick fixes, but you certainly, certainly need to make substantial fixes, especially to the defense. The defense is the number one thing. And being able to make sure that whatever quarterback you go with, whether it's the redshirt freshman or the true freshman, that they feel comfortable and confident in their role. And also that they have a receiver to throw to that they have a running back that's going to be solid, which they do. Well, and the thing, and Husker fans, correct me if I'm wrong. When I, like I said during the Illinois segment, when I used to write for fan sided writing Illini, I was really close and talked to the chief editor of the Nebraska site. And we'd always talk like just Big 12 or Big 10 and stuff. Um, and the thing with, Nebraska that I think Scott Frost can change this year is the whole mindset is you got to go back. I'm going to take you back in the way back machine a little bit. We've been in the way back machine a lot tonight. We have where if you look at Nebraska football from, oh, what, 2008, I believe was um, his first job or his first year. 2008, Bo Pelini um, comes in as the head coach. They were still Big 12 team. At this point. Um, So he comes in 2008. And he is there from 08 to 2014. So three seasons in the Big 12. Four seasons in the Big 10. And the thing that I always heard is like Bo Pelini is a guy. That will give you 9 or 10 wins. 
every single year he was with Nebraska, nine or ten wins. But especially for the Big Ten side of it was, you look at it, the 2011 season. He only loses three games, two of them to number seven, Wisconsin, to number 20, Michigan. Then you look at 2012. Who do you lose to? You lose to Ohio State. You lose to Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. So you had a chance to maybe get somewhere. You lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Then in 2013, you lose to Minnesota. You lose to Michigan State. You lose to Iowa. And then 2014, the last one, you lose to Michigan State. You lose to Wisconsin. So it seems like those teams, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, yeah, you're giving me nine wins a game, but you're just you're not beating the teams that you need to beat. Then it's like I remember because we talked about it. We came in, we talked about Mike Riley being the head coach of Nebraska. What does this mean? What can he bring over from the um, Oregon State Beavers? Then it seemed like we're not even all the way through his tenure, and we're having another segment talking about if he's a lame duck coach or not. So, I mean— Like, Scott Frost, to me, could be the—not necessarily this year, but he could be the guy to put Nebraska football back on the map because I kind of feel like Nebraska football hasn't been on the map since they were in the Big 12 because ever since they've been in the Big 10, especially with the Bo Pelini days, it was like, yeah, you're a good team, but I'm not going to expect you to win the conference or do anything. Like, you're not going to go to the playoff or, at that time, the BCS National Championship. I think you're making a good point in the in the sense of, hey, you can win nine games, you can win ten games over and over and over, but if you're not beating the right teams, if you're not beating that for, for example, I guess, the right thing. I don't mean to cut you off, but, for example, like Jim Harbaugh that we're going to answer next week, a lot of people are going, hey, guy— you're going to beat Ohio State? Come on, man. This is why we brought you in. Lovey Smith, the guy we talked about already, why was he let go from the Bears? Not because he won 10 wins that last game, because he couldn't beat the Green Bay Packers. Like, that's what it comes down to. you got to beat the teams you're expected to beat, but then you have to beat the teams that the AD and stuff want you to beat. Like, example, of Michigan there's no excuse to lose to the Buckeyes. Like, there is no excuse from the Michigan AD of why you lose to Ohio State if you're at Michigan. Well, absolutely, and there's some of those things built into a coach's contract, though, Mm -hmm. too. I mean, if you beat beat Wisconsin, you you get a $250,000 bonus. Or if, like, you have... A certain win percentage against rivals. Sure, you get a bonus. Absolutely, as well. there's, there's. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some sort of clause like that yeah. built into a contract. It, mm-hmm. it just, it just is for those types of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one thing I wanted to look at here is, is over on the defensive side of things. So okay. Nebraska. One of the things that I wanted to bring up is, is again, you look at them on third down, and and we looked at this with Illinois. This is something that I wanted to look at because this is important too especially with a team that struggled defensively. They were ranked 99th in third down percentage. Mm-hmm. 43% of the time, the opposing team would convert on third down. Mm-hmm. That's, again, too high of a percentage. You're letting too many teams get you on the, the most critical down, third down. And and 
continue their drives. And on many of those, you were giving up a lot of third downs in those 56-pointers that you were giving up. Another thing that I found to be interesting was Nebraska in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Ranked 102nd in red zone defense. They gave up 50 red zone scores. There were 57 attempts. So 87, almost 88% of the time that an opposing team was in the red zone, they scored. 41 of the 50 times, they scored a touchdown. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a defense that continuously was allowing teams to score once they got into the red zone. They they only held them to nine field goals, but they, they continued to score every time. They they didn't have that defense that would get those big stops or, oh, you just held them to a field goal. They were letting teams consistently score on them, get into the red zone, mm-hmm. and then consistently score on them. So that's, again, something that needs to change, and it's going to come with a new-look defense, a new-look coordinator, and a new head coach at, at, at the top. That's going to be really important. But those are just a couple of the things that when looking at it, okay, that's that's why they struggled, because they were bad on third down and they were bad in the red zone. And that's by looking at the schedule, because like another thing with Scott Frost that fans might look at is, oh, look at his time at Central Florida in two years. They were a six-win team that first year, then boom, I'm defeated. I'm not saying he'll do the same thing in Nebraska, but I wonder if there will be a same correlation where this year might be four or five wins, then next year they make a jump into like eight wins, seven wins. I'm not saying they're going to win that side of the conference, but make that big improvement in year two under Scott Frost. And like I look at the schedule and I'll be honest, I can't give I can't give a solid win loss. I kind of want to say four, maybe five wins because I look at it, and of course, the bad thing is you get Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. Good effing luck with that. Um, but then on top of it, like you get the other three games of Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern. That could be six losses right there. Then in the other six games, Akron and Troy, you should beat. Minnesota, I said you'd beat, so I'll give you that one. And then Illinois, that's four right there. Colorado and Iowa. I really don't know how to gauge those two, mainly because I don't know what to expect from the defense this year, because especially that Iowa game, I remember what I saw last year from that. And even if you shave off 10 points, 15 points, Iowa still can beat you. So like, that's why I sit here. Maybe they're a four or five win team again. If this team makes a bowl game, that will be a phenomenal season for Scott Frost in year one with the Huskers. Iowa was the number one team in interceptions last year. They had mm-hmm. 21 interceptions, and they had four of those returned for touchdowns. They usually do and have that. Nebraska, they only had nine takeaways via an interception, mm-hmm. and they had two of them returned for touchdowns. This yep. team has to have more takeaways. This team mm-hmm. has to definitely be stronger defensively. They, You have got to believe that they'll go – from giving up 36 points a year ago and drop that significantly mm-hmm. and 400 and however many yards per game as well, that that's going to plummet and go down significantly with, with a new head coach and, and a very knowledgeable and talented head coach at the helm. We're, we're looking at a Nebraska team that 
will should certainly I I don't want to say will I'll say should certainly show improvements this season and and that will give a lot a lot of people hope for year two. Any final thoughts you got about Nebraska? With me, my final thoughts are just four, five win team, and if you get six wins, that's a win for Scott Frost in year one. What's your final thought? on the Huskers I think I think Nebraska's uh, like you mentioned with the schedule they're going to have still a, a tough schedule moving forward but it'll be interesting to see what these guys can do in in year one under Scott Frost where they come mm-hmm. what they can what are the changes that we're going to see mm-hmm. how significant are the changes going to be defensively what are some things that they can do better where are some areas that they're that you're going to see because he said they need to change everything mm-hmm. in year one what are going to be the, the big areas that you could clearly tell he focused on the most and that'll be really interesting as you move into year two well this is where you guys come in let us know what you think down below in that comment section what do you expect from scott frost in year one What are the big question marks for this team, and how do you think this team will perform this upcoming season? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, the next team we're moving on into is the Iowa Hawkeyes. And we were just talking about Iowa in the Nebraska preview, and I feel like the high note that you mentioned for them is exactly where I want to start with because this defense is going to go through some changes this year. Yeah, that was my bad impersonation of that song. And that was really good. Too many times on the Keep going with that. part. But they, to me, the big losses, or not to me, just in general, the big losses, they lose linebacker Josie Jewell, and then they also lose cornerback Josh Jackson. Jewell was a senior last year, just doesn't have eligibility. Jackson said, yeah, I ain't coming back as a senior. I'm going to go to the NFL. And now he is with the Green Bay Packers in Wisconsin. So maybe they can see each other this year if the Iowa game, I haven't checked if the Iowa-Wisconsin game is in Wisconsin. But that's the first thing I want to bring up is the defense with this one is how much of a task do you think it'll be for D.C. Phil Parker to kind of replace these all-American talents and make sure this defense is just as good as it was last year. Like you said, nine takeaways and, what, five of them went back for touchdowns last year for Iowa. What do you think this defense will look like in 2018 for the Hawkeyes? Well, I think that you certainly have to be worrisome Mm -hmm. that, okay, you just lost this really great playmaker and I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the only one either. Um, you know, Josie Jewell, they they lost him mm-hmm. as as well at linebacker. You know, obviously not in the secondary, but but someone who was a, a key and an anchor for them on the defensive front. But you have to be, I think, hopeful of what they have coming up next, and that's going to be something to monitor this season because you look at Amani Hooker who. At last last season had some flashes of things that could be good and and some things that people looked at and said, okay, this guy, this guy's going to be really good, make some strides in his next couple of seasons. So it may not be completely a disaster Mm -hmm. uh, on the defensive side of things, as some may think. Oh, the sky is falling. We've lost. We've lost our our best guy. It's it's over. It's done for. But. They will need to make some adjustments a little bit. They may not have 
21 interceptions as a team mm-hmm. like they did last season. But I still think that overall you're going to see a team that's pretty well put together on the defensive side. I don't think there's going to be as much of a cause for concern as some might think because of the pieces you're losing. Well, and the thing with the cornerback, especially Josh Jackson, that comes to mind is I think people almost thought the same thing after the 2016 season because it's like 2016 you had Desmond King and Josh Jackson as your main um, cornerbacks. Then Desmond King leaves for the NFL. It's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Josh Jackson takes over in 2017, and everything is fine. Like, Josh Jackson didn't have an interception until his junior campaign last season. So, for me, I am going to put some of the pressure on Hooker. Hey, you know what? It's your time to step up just like those cornerbacks before you stepped up. Josh Jackson had to step up when King left. You got to step up because Josh Jackson left. So, I mean, with me and the defense, the big thing is going to be the linebackers because I was going to have to replace all three of their starting linebackers. Like, how the defense looks for me, the defensive front should be fine. They've got some really nice defensive ends um, on that on that squad where I, they also have got A.J. Espenza, or Espenenza, who's a former five-star recruit, he's going to be on that line. So the front's going to be nice. The or the front four will be nice. The cornerbacks won't be a huge issue. We just got to have Hooker step up. Linebacker's the issue. You're replacing all three. How do you replace them? Who do you replace them with? Do those players step up? I wouldn't be surprised if, like you mentioned, Iowa takes a dip this year defensively in those numbers. It just naturally happens because the guys you had out there are just gone and not there in 2018. And that's that's one of the things. But at the same time, you you also have to look at Iowa's team as, okay, maybe you go from what was really solid at, at cornerback mm-hmm. and you, you move it up to the, now def- it's the front four. kind of the front four with the mm-hmm. defensive ends and everything like that. And, and you look at that to be one of the best in the Big Ten, that's going to be... I I think really exciting to watch too. So there's definitely a lot of things to be hopeful for, for Iowa. When you switch things back to the offensive side of things, while they lose Akram Wadley, that's a blow. Dude, that's a huge loss. He tore it up in that Ohio State game. Tore it up. Like when he left, I was like, man, whatever NFL team gets him is going to be really happy. Iowa is definitely hurting now that he's gone. But here's the thing, is Nate Stanley is still there. Noah mm-hmm. Fant is still there. Nate Stanley was absolutely phenomenal in a couple of games last season. Was he... Uh, Iowa, Iowa State... Was he Jim Rome? Phenomenal. Here's phenomenal. We are Jim <laughs> Rome, and we are burning. Um, but anyways... So that was a terrible Jim Rome impression, and I admit to it. But Iowa State, I Ohio it was pretty State, good. I laughed. He he threw five touchdown passes mm-hmm. in each of those, and possibly two of the most difficult games on their schedule. However, though, Wisconsin goes eight of twenty four. He throws for forty one yards. But we've seen that all throughout the time. You know what? I'm I'm ready for Matt Stafford to go off against this team, and then. Mm, he had 150 yards, and he threw two picks, and he has no touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It happens. You have games like that 
where it just doesn't go well for you. But to see a guy that gets up for the big moments, that mm-hmm. comes to play in the big moments, and it, and it certainly helped that Josh Jackson was giving you the ball back every single <laughs> time because he was just picking off JT Barrett. It was so incredibly awesome to see last year that Iowa just beat the living you-know-what out of Ohio State in a game that absolutely everyone thought Ohio State was going to do the exact same thing to Iowa, and they didn't. But it's really encouraging, though, with Nate Stanley because this guy is good. He is really good, and I'm excited to see what he's able to bring this year. I'm excited to see what Fant's able to do this year, and I'm very interested mm-hmm. to see what the running game can do, Can see to see what the running game can do after Wadley. What's life like after Wadley? And that's going to be, you know, a lot of people would say question, but I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they're able to put out there. To me, the offense is going to be – I'm not worried about the offense. I'll say that. They've got, unlike the last two teams we talked about, a veteran quarterback. They got guys running back. I feel like it'll be the same thing as cornerback. Just the next one steps up. That's how I feel how Iowa running backs have been. It's every new year who's the new Iowa running back that kind of takes the place of the old one. Here's the big question I have this year is last year this team before the bowl game finished with seven wins. They finished seven and five. Out of those wins, it's like, okay, I could see you beating those teams yet again. Nebraska, I could see them beating. I could see them beating Minnesota, Illinois, and their non-conference schedule. Because Iowa State, I know Iowa State fans are going to be like, oh, well, we played them close. Yeah, that game's going to be close, but I still kind of like Iowa in that game. But that one could be a coin toss just because Iowa State's really good as well. But Northern Iowa, Northern Illinois should be wins for the Iowa Hawkeyes. My question comes because if you look at their five losses, Penn State, Michigan State, Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Purdue. What do you notice about all those teams? Uh, It doesn't include the top dogs of the beast. They are against the top six teams. So the top three from the beast and the top three from the West, they were one in five against those teams. The only one they beat was Ohio State. That needs to change this year because I look at their schedule. They should win all three of their non-conference games, so that's three. They should beat Illinois and Nebraska this year. That's five. Where do you get the other games in my mind? What do you do against the top three from the West? So Wisconsin, Nebraska, or Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Purdue. Then what comes to me is last year from the East, you played Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. Murderous row. Top three teams, like I said, from that division. This year, yeah, you get Penn State again. Yeah, it's on the road. But you get a favorable, I'm not saying it's like cupcake easy, but favorable East opponents in Indiana and Maryland. They could win those two games, man, if they steal one. Steal one against either Purdue or Northwestern or Wisconsin. I think this team could easily beat a 7 to 9 win team this year in the well in the Big 10 overall. 7 to 9 wins overall could be what we're looking at for the Iowa Hawkeyes. 
Yeah, I definitely see seven wins on this schedule. Iowa State is, you know, the 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 game that that you have out there. Just and it's I say that, tough. and I say that because Iowa State, while Iowa did beat them last year in a season that Iowa State was very good, and Iowa still got them. It's that's always going to be one of those toss up games. No matter, no matter what team did has done better in the past. Both of these teams could be absolutely garbage. I'm not saying they're going to be. I'm saying I'm actually saying they're both going to be good, but it doesn't matter. It's one of those rivalry games where people get up for it, the the players get up for it, and anything could happen. Mm-hmm. The Wisconsin game, of course, is going to be a tough one. But you know what? Is that Iowa, knowing how poorly they played last season and losing whatever it was, 38 to 17, that could be one of those games. That Iowa sneakily gets the win. You know what? And this is looking at history of the Cyhawk Trophy, which is the Iowa State-Iowa Trophy. I remember when we made that pick because I was like, you know what? So I can't remember who I picked, but I basically said, it's going to be another close game. Expect another one like 2011 when Iowa State won 44-41 to in triple overtime. Last year's score was 44 to 41 in overtime. So that means if history repeats itself, the team that won the year before will win again. So Iowa will get the win, but it'll be nine to six. It'll be like a field goal only game and you'll barely get the win. So, I mean, Iowa should be looking back at history going, hey, not only do we favor the series 43 to 22. Last time a team won in overtime, 44-41, to that same team won the next year. But, like, yeah, 79 for this Iowa team. My big question, though, is just that defense is what can we see from it overall? And the biggest one is what do you do against the big opponents? The more so, and I'll ask you, what do you think? Can they get a win against either a Purdue or Wisconsin or Northwestern? I'm going to leave Penn State out of it, but you could throw them in as well. I think they definitely could get a win against Purdue. I know it's on the road, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry to Matt. I, I, I and that's and that's you Who know we're obviously talk to and, next. But I, I think I think Matt would probably agree agree that yeah, they, I mean Iowa could get a win in uh, against them because I think he understands and sees what what Purdue is this mm-hmm. season, and, and not to say that they're going to be bad, but I think Iowa still could get a win there. And against Wisconsin, like I said, I mean, it's I was going to look at I think the Wisconsin game as a revenge game. They know they didn't play well. They know well, they they know they didn't play well last season. And, the other and I thing, think the, the 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 biggest thing is going to be the fact that Nate Stanley knows he didn't play well. He played so poorly. I think mm-hmm. that was his worst performance all season long. You don't. I mean, you can't tell me that he doesn't want to absolutely come out and he wants to have one of his five touchdown games in that Wisconsin game and say, hey, in week four, we've already beat Wisconsin. We've already beat Wisconsin. And based off of last year, because Stanley last year playing this year, one of the things I worry about, and I would if I was an Iowa fan, was, all right, we're playing Wisconsin that fourth game. What happened last year? We went 3-0 and in our non-conference, not the toughest of non-conference. We played a really good team in Penn State. We lost. Well, Penn State and Michigan State, but that first game off of the three-game winning streak is Penn State, and they lost. I could almost see a similar thing 
for Iowa this year with Wisconsin because the question for me as an outsider is basically, can you prove to me, hey, I don't care. We can win those first three games, and then we are going to be ready to play the Wisconsin Badgers in that fourth game. But like you said, that's a game they want to make up for from last year. Absolutely, and this this Iowa team, I'm looking at them f- to be competitive yet again this season, and they could certainly be one of the top three teams. They could even make a run for one of the top two teams, and who knows? They could come out and they could even surprise a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe they could make a run for the top team. Well, any final thoughts you got about the Iowa Hawkeyes before we move? This one is probably the most, like, it's weird. They're probably the most straightforward team because, like, on offense, I think they'll be fine. Defense is the question mark because of what they've lost. In their games, it's basically, can you beat the teams that matter? Penn State, Purdue, Northwestern, uh, Wisconsin, and then that coin flip of a game in Iowa State for the Cyhawk Trophy. This one's pretty much a straightforward preview for me. It's like a few things and then... Basically, hey, they should win these games. They shouldn't win these. Any final thoughts on Iowa before we move on into uh, Matt and the Boilermakers? No. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What do you think about your Hawkeyes this year? What are they going to do? Who are they going to win? Who are they going to beat? That's probably the same thing. Who are they going to lose Who are they going to win? Who are they going to win? Who are they going to Who are they going to win? Who are they going to lose? <laughs> that's going to be our next shirt. Who are they, who are they going to win? That's going to be our next shirt. Who are they going to win? But let us know what you think down below in the comment section. But, Brandon, let's move on into the next team we're talking about tonight, and that is the Purdue Boilermakers. And this is a special segment for the podcast because we have joining us our patron or one of our fellow patrons, Matt, calling in tonight. And the special thing about Matt is he's a huge Purdue Boilermaker fan, so we decided to bring him on in. This is the perfect time to talk about Purdue with Matt. Before we get into everything, Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm good and actually excited to talk Purdue football for once, so <laughs> let's do it. Usually it's uh, like for me when we talked about the Illinois Fighting Alliance, like I guess we can do this. Uh, I guess we'll get through it, but Purdue, they had a really nice season last year, finished third in the Big Ten West. And the first thing I kind of want to talk to you about, Matt, is about the success. Because, like you said, you're actually excited to talk about Purdue for once. So the first thing I'm going to kind of throw your way is, from last year and the success that this Boilermaker team had, do you see that being the trend for this year? Or does Purdue take a step back in 2018? I think nationally, like if people just look at Purdue on the face value from where they were last year, I mean, I think seven and six doesn't scream huge success, but I think people realize how much of an improvement it was and how much of an impact that Jeff Brom had in his first year. However, I, I would warn, and I and I, I think it Purdue might not take a step back necessarily, but I don't know that the record for this year is really going to get all that better. And the reason I say that is because, Jeff Brom, he, he's known for his offense and all of his tricks, but it was really the defense that carried to Purdue um, last year um, to their seven and six record in the in the bowl win, um, and they lose pretty much I think eight or nine starters from that defense. So that's going to be a lot to a lot of carryover, a lot of new faces that they're going to be introducing, and um, 
I think that's going to, you know, it, the, the record might not show the improvement because of that. But I think if they are going to have success, it is going to flip to be more of an offensive attack, um, which is typical Jeff Brom. But we'll have to see how that plays out. Go ahead, B. Matt, do you think that it could it could kind of flip this season and we could see Purdue end up around again the same spot, but because of the offense this year? Uh, maybe the offense is the, the side that, that picks up maybe the defense for the, the pieces that were lost there. You're looking at a quarterback in, in David Blau, so a guy who only plays in nine games, did, did you know pretty well, serviceable, over 1,100 yards, nine TDs, four interceptions. He goes down, I think, with an ankle injury. That's why he only gets nine games in. You have... Uh, kind of a deep running back position with, I think, at least four serviceable guys that bring you a lot of different skills, talents, abilities, you know, with speed, power, and and agility that they can go with a different guy on a number of different plays. You return four offensive uh, linemen, which is great, which is huge, should help you there. And then finding trying to find that big play receiver, which they really didn't have last year. And maybe with a year under some of these guys' belts or another year under um, their belt, they maybe find it this season, especially since Jeff Brom is that guy for being very creative and very, I guess you could say sneaky sometimes on the offensive side of the football. So could you see maybe the same record or around the same record, but that's flipped this season and the offense is what you see be successful for for Purdue yeah I think that's exactly right I think um you you talked about it the the big thing is offensive front is is a lot of returning starters which is always used to have consistency there it all starts there and then you've got two um veterans going to be behind the ball and Blau who you mentioned um he kind of finally they, they were they were doing kind of a quarterback by committee they'd flip back and forth between Blau and Sindelar until Blau finally established himself as a starter, and then he gets hurt. Um, and so Sindelar closed out the season, and he did it on a torn ACL the last four games, which we learned after the season, which makes it all that more impressive yeah. um, what, what he was able to do. But um, you've got quarterbacks, you've got a line. Like you said, they have a lot of good options at running back, kind of some um, speedy, shifty guys, but then also Richie Worship, who's kind of a big – more of a fullback type 240 pounder that can just pound the ball, um, you know, in, in between, in between the tackles, but you're right. I think the one question mark is out on wide receivers. Um, they, they don't, the, the guys that were more successful for them last year, kind of, they lose and Anthony Mahungu, um, being one of them, but they do return. Um, I can't remember his first name, but Anthrop, they've had a number of Anthrop brothers come through, um, he was good as a freshman last year, and then their big piece that they'll be introducing is Rondale Moore, a freshman four-star um, recruit who chose Purdue over the likes of Ohio State and Alabama, which lets you know how relevant Purdue football is becoming again. And um, I think, just to jump in there too, and just how good of a recruiter Jeff Brom is too. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on. And there's there's actually like a video that came out a, a week or so ago of him, Rondale Moore, a small pretty small quick guy 180 pounds squatting 600 pounds so that was kind of impressive not bad really you know that doesn't mean anything on the field necessarily but um but yeah i think that's the biggest question mark on offense but then i I think it's going to be fun and from himself already was asked the question you know how many trick plays do you want to run this year 
and just throwing it out there, he's like, I don't know, about 50 maybe. <laughs> so <laughs> if that's any indication, I mean, he, he comes up with the craziest and awesome, most awesome stuff. So uh, that's just independent of record that makes him watchable and very fun. So, Well, for me, there's two things that I'm thinking about, and it's kind of a little bit off of what Brandon was talking about, a little bit of what you were talking about, Matt, Matt because there's, to me, a lot to unbox with this offense. The first thing for me is my biggest question mark. You mentioned the receivers, but also with the quarterbacks is yes, they can be healthy by game one, but how are they going to be? Cause both quarterbacks coming off of injuries, like you had Sindelar, he played the last three and a half games on a torn ACL. And then like you mentioned, you had Blau who got injured in that November 4th game against the fighting Illini. And that's where, kind of Sindelar took over playing on that ACL. The other point to me with this offense is I kind of think that the running back position is going to be the thing to kind of carry them on offense. And the reason why I say that is I think back to the history of the Big Ten. Whenever I've watched Big Ten football, I've seen guys, at least recently in my time, Montaball, Melvin Gordon, Jeremy Langford, um, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, these guys, it's like good teams, Saquon Barkley just last year, good teams in the conference have those running backs that they can kind of lean on. And I wonder if this could be a Purdue team that, I mean, just to answer the question we asked at the top of the segment of, can this team carry off of last year if the running backs can give them, like if one of these running backs can give a, I'll say, 750 to an 1,000-yard season. I know 1,000 yards and Purdue fans are going, whoa, you think one of them can give us that? But like if they can give one of them seven, uh, 750 to 1,000 yards, this could be a Purdue Boilermaker team that challenges a Wisconsin, challenges a Northwestern, However, I don't think that'll happen, and I think that this team will most likely be the third-best team. Maybe the second is their ceiling for the Big Ten West this season. What do you think about that, Matt? I don't think you're wrong in the sense that the running backs, are, are there, there's a lot of good ones, a lot of veteran presence in that committee. However, the only reason I don't know if the running back is going to carry the team is because I don't know that Jeff Brom wants them to carry the team. Um, there were times when Purdue had a lot of success running the ball last year, but people would ask Brom, you know, post game, and he would say he wanted to be throwing the ball more. He really wasn't all that happy that he couldn't throw more, but he felt like they weren't quite there as a unit yet. Um, so I think with the, you know, a year under his belt there, in his system, I think, I mean, you're going to see running, right? You you need the balance. But I think, if anything, he's going to air it out. And just traditionally speaking, you're right. The Big Ten is kind of known as a ground-and-pound type of conference. However, Purdue's most successful season ever, the Rose Bowl season back in 2000, Drew Brees was throwing the ball 60, 70 times a game. That's kind of what Purdue needs to do. They don't get these supreme athletes, so they kind of have to have their own niche, which is throw the ball around all over the field and kind of beat teams with things they don't see every day. Now, Matt, if we dive into the schedule a little bit here, 
you know, you look at some of the games that uh, Purdue has, and uh, at the beginning of the season, they start off right away with Northwestern at home. Northwestern, a team that uh, ended up number two on uh, that side of the conference last season, played some good football, and you start off right away with them. And now, you know, you look at Northwestern, and every year there's going to be, you know, every team is going to lose people. You know, uh, every team's going to lose people, but people will hate me for this as they usually do. But I always look to Alabama. You would never know that Alabama lost people because they always reload so well. Um, but you, you start right away with Northwestern. And then as you as you go out for the next couple of games, you have uh, Eastern Michigan. You'd like to believe that that's a win. Uh, Missouri, you'd like to believe that's a win. Boston College is a pretty solid team, though. Um, and, you know, that's a that could be a should be a really good game. Nebraska, I think you guys lost to Nebraska by, um, Purdue lost to Nebraska by one point last season. Illinois should be a win on the road. It'll be like a Purdue home game. Um, Ohio State is a tough game. In the middle of the season, you've got Ohio State and then Michigan State. Iowa at home, but Iowa was a a team that, that had flashes of really good things last year, especially in that Ohio State game. And then Wisconsin towards the end of the season, but you played Wisconsin well last year. You only lose seventeen to nine, and Wisconsin obviously uh, had a, had a great season a year ago. How do you see Purdue faring with this schedule, kind of at the beginning, in the middle, and towards the end? Yeah, so there's no doubt. I think it's a back-heavy schedule, um, as you alluded to. But I think that kind of the interesting proposition. You, as you look at it, some of these games in the beginning are probably toss-ups. Like Northwestern, I, I think we we can win that one, but I think I, I think the line is like Purdue by three points. So basically, just the home field advantage there. Um, Eastern Michigan should be a win, like you alluded to. Missouri, um, I mean, Purdue went into Missouri and beat them 35 to three last year. I mean, we're obviously talking two very different teams, um, but that gives us confidence anyway that we can beat them again, especially at home this time. Yeah. And Missouri has been then, in a world of hurt for, for quite a while. Right. And then Boston college, again, another, not, not easy, but not overly difficult. You can see Purdue winning that one. So let's just play that out in a crazy scenario where Purdue, you know, somehow has four home games to begin the season there and wins all four and then goes to Nebraska I guess I'll say probably loses that one just with it being the first road game, and who knows how quickly Scott Frost will have um, an impact. But probably a national championship one. team. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> and then say you beat Illinois at Illinois, which seems reasonable. That's a five and one start, and you got Ohio State coming home. If that were to happen, I think the Jeff Brom hype train would be like you know off off the track <laughs> just because. <laughs> It, that 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 game against Ohio State would be the biggest game, um, really in like ten years probably for the program, given where they've been having won nine games the previous four years prior to last year's seven win season. So um, I just think kind of looking at that from that perspective, like I, I keep playing through, them, I'm like, yeah, they you know they could beat Missouri, they could beat Boston College, like I can see this happening, but it won't. But you know, it, it doesn't seem too far out there. And it's and it's not. And I just want to make one more point before Ricky jumps mm-hmm. in here, because what Ricky usually will do is when he, we go through things and he's looking at it at a game that's a toss up game. Mm-hmm. Ricky most likely gives it to the team that's at home. And Purdue has, like you said, Matt, which is really uncommon for the teams that we've looked at 
throughout us doing this that has four straight home games to start the season. We have not seen that. This is the first team that I think we've done where we've looked at the schedule, and this is what we've seen, four straight home games. I mean, I mean you could Purdue, you could make the— make Purdue the, did, did have three of their first four last year were at home. I know, but I'm just saying, to have your first mm-hmm. four games right at home yeah. against— and usually when you start the season in a, in a power five— you're you're having Here, your easier teams at the beginning. Yeah. So to start four and zero, and then go possibly five and one, like Matt mm-hmm. said, you are really off to a good start there, and you've got a ton of confidence building. Even Here's if you don't what, have the ex- the experience or necessarily the entire talent to 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 drive you, that confidence to go into the player's mind that's big. And I'm sorry I took some of your time, Ricky, well, but I just wanted to make I'm that point. Here's what I'm thinking about the schedule is. Because I'm looking, I'm comparing it to last year. And last year, first let's look at the non-conference games. Purdue had three of them last year. You went two and one. You beat Mizzou, you beat Ohio, you lost to Louisville. I could see almost that same thing happening this year. You beat Eastern Michigan, that's like your Ohio game. You beat Missouri. The only question I have with Missouri is Drew Locke. Because Missouri's going to be an interesting team. Yes, it's at Purdue. But they're going to have two cupcake games to start the year, then have Purdue. What does that do? Does that put that team in a like lull where it's like, oh, we had two easier opponents. Now we're getting punched in the face by Purdue and what they want to do, especially offensively. Or do those two games get a guy like Drew Locke, who right now in many mock drafts, he's the number one quarterback prospect, which in my mind goes... How good is this quarterback field going to be this year for the draft? But we'll talk about that on another day. And Boston College, I know Matt is saying, like, oh, I could see Purdue winning that game, and I could see them winning it. But I'm sorry. We talked about Boston College. We've talked about their running back. I don't, like, right now I would give that game to Boston College. And if you're sitting that, if you're a Purdue fan, I'm not mad at that because, like, okay, it's the same thing we did last year. We went 2-1. and one. The big thing for me this year is the West is going to be the West. So, like, yeah, you're Nebraska, you lost by a point, but what is Scott Frost going to bring in? Can you beat a Wisconsin that you only lost to 17-9 to last year, a Northwestern team that you only beat by 10 points? The biggest thing for me that I would worry about if I was a Purdue fan is last year the teams from the Beast, not the East, the Beast, that you had to play last year were Michigan, Rutgers, and Indiana. You still have to play Indiana this year because that's your biggest rival. However, instead of Michigan and Rutgers, you get Ohio State and Michigan State, where some of some might go, okay, take the Ohio State. We lose that one. It's just like losing to Michigan. But I would rather have a team like Rutgers on the schedule than Michigan State. And that could be a game late, like looking at it late, where you're like, "Man, we finished six and six last year." Well, man, if we had a if we had a team like Rutgers on the schedule, I know they lost to Rutgers last year, so Rutgers fans are going like, "Hey, we beat Purdue last year, but it was fourteen to 12. I think that game against Michigan State will be a little bit harder, if not a lot harder, than a game against Rutgers. And that game, I believe. Yeah, the Ohio State one's at home. The Michigan State one is on the road. So, Matt, what do you think? To me, that's the question for a Purdue fan in my mind is, what is your thought process about playing a Ohio State-Michigan State rather than like a Michigan and a team like Rutgers? 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I think it's probably fitting given that Purdue's schedule was a little um, easier last year. I think this year is actually rated, you know, going in based off last year's success as one of the tougher schedules in all of college football. But, I mean, I I don't know. I kind of like the idea of Ohio State coming to Ross to Ross A, Purdue's home field. Um, just because, like I said, if, I mean, if the stars align and you have a good record and you can kind of – that can kind of be like just a get the program back on the map sort of game, right? If Especially if that gets pushed to like a night night game, primetime sort of game. That's I, I don't think anything bad comes from that. And if you lose, you weren't expected to win anyway. So that one kind of just – it is what it is. I think it's it's fine. The Michigan State one, yeah, I don't think you're going to go in there and win. But, you know, if we're talking Jeff Brom having an impact in, in the long term, I think these are the sorts of games that Purdue needs to get exposed to, um, not expect to win. Maybe you're looking to kind of beat sort of the more like Iowa teams that you feel like are more in your tier for now. Mm-hmm. And then you move up to the next tier um, here in the coming years. But, um yeah, definitely tough games that I don't expect them to win, but definitely can be program builders for the future. And then, like, for me, the last thing that's kind of like a yin and yang thing for me is I look at it and go, well, a good thing is you don't get Wisconsin until November 17th. i rather have Wisconsin at the near end. I know Indiana is always going to be the last game for Purdue, but I would love to have Wisconsin as close to the end because, to me, Wisconsin's going to be – the top if not at the top of the division and if I'm sitting there a game behind or even record in the conference as Wisconsin I want to play them as late as possible to make sure I get enough experience under my belt the the yang to that is you get Northwestern right out of the gate and that's another team that could be at the top with you so I would say if Purdue wins that game against Northwestern that November 17th game, I will say, will be for the Big Ten West and who's playing at the um, Big Ten Championship against probably Ohio State um, is probably the favorite to win the other side unless Jim Harbaugh actually um, actually fields a team that can beat the Buckeyes um, in Ann Arbor. But if Purdue loses against Northwestern, then I would sit there and go, this is a team that will probably be third in the third in the division and kind of have a similar season to last year, but maybe beat like the Nebraska's and the Minnesota's and the teams that you would expect them to beat. What do you think B? Yeah. You know, I think that with this, with this schedule, it's, it's a bit of a challenging schedule, I think for Purdue, but I think it's one where Matt, if you're a fan, you're kind of sitting there going good. I want to see what this Jeff Brown team is made of in year two. And if you see some struggles, okay, that's, that's not bad. I mean, people thought that it was going to be a rebuilding season for him last year. And I think that there was surprise, but also excitement around them being seven and six and winning their first bowl game since 2011. So to, to make a, to, I guess to take a step forward in in last year, well, it felt like a leap forward. Um, but then to take a step back this year, possibly to then hopefully take another step or two forward next year. That's not necessarily a bad team, but uh, bad thing, but you get to see what your team is made of here in year two, maybe where the offense has come, if everyone can stay healthy, if you can have a healthy quarterback and a consistent uh, quarterback uh, that, that's in there, one uh, you know guy. I, I, I'm really big on the one quarterback mm-hmm. system. But 
you know, see what you get from your running backs. Can a wide receiver step up? Is the offensive line going to hold up? I think that that's those are all things that are going to be interesting. And then how's the defense going to do with a number of guys departing? You know, they that, that was a huge strength for them last season. Is that going to hold up again this year? Or are they going to have some question marks? They replaced a couple of guys in the secondary. They, you know, re- replaced some guys up front in a, in a position that was their strength last year. They now have question marks. But what can they do to combat that and see if they can at least get to where they were last season? If they can get to another 6-6 six and six and then potentially 7-6 and six season this year, I think I think you're looking at a a good team that's continuing to move move forward in this Jeff Brown system. Well, I was going to jump in, and you're actually reading my mind, because That was the question I was going to kind of set up for Matt, kind of to end everything. Is like you said, losing a lot on defense. To be specifically, the thing I was looking at is you lose both of your corners from last year. The question that I was going to ask: This was a team, Nick Holt, defensive coordinator. They kind of jumped out to a good year after being 117th in scoring in 2016. They shot up to top 25 in scoring. As a Purdue fan, Matt, what do you expect from this defense in Nick Holt's second year as the D.C. for Purdue? Yeah, I think it's going to look a little rough and just because you're going to be transitioning a lot of new guys in there. But you do return um, the top tackler, Marcus Bailey, at linebacker, which is obviously um, a key position, as well as the two safeties. So it's really the corners, um, the linebackers, and then some up front. Um, I guess I expect to see improvement throughout the year. Like I said, it might be a little rough to begin with. But Nick Holt clearly established that he's a good coach, and he's such a fiery guy in the sidelines. Like, I'd be scared to not play well for him that um, I, I – have a lot of confidence that throughout the year you'll see that unit improve a lot even with the young guys in there matt can we get from you before we let you go can we get a prediction as a purdue fan what do you what do you predict what do you predict um realistically um for purdue this season in terms of a record i'm just going through really quickly here i'm gonna say I'll go six and six, and then hopefully a bowl win. So I'll say seven and six. Although I will say, ceiling is there's not a crazy, crazy scenario where it couldn't be Purdue playing Wisconsin for a, a birth to the Big Ten title game. Yeah, I think it's, I, it's I, like and, I said, and Ricky alluded you, to it earlier you too. Beat so. Northwestern. Yeah. If you beat Northwestern, yeah. I think you're playing Wisconsin for the division at the end of the year. But right. it all and comes down to after, if you beat Northwestern, though, to start the year. You're right. It's it's a huge first game, and I guess the one thing I don't know is if Thorsten, their their quarterback, is going to be ready or not. But we'll see. Well, before I ask you, Brandon, your final expectations for the Purdue Boilermakers, the one thing about the defense I want to say that should be better is Bailey that Matt uh, mentioned. Last year he played a lot at the Sam linebacker yeah. position. Just to get, hey, we got to get, it's kind of like basketball, like the basketball that we're seeing now in the NBA, where it's like, hey, LeBron, you're not a power forward, but we're going to play you there just to get the best five players on the court. They just wanted the best 11 guys on the field. Now that he's going to be moving back to his natural linebacker position, he should be able to do even better than he did. And I mean, he had the second most tackles at 89. So, I mean, he'll just have more tackles um, at his original linebacker position. But what do you think, B? What are your final expectations 
for the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Matt on this one. I would not be surprised to see them back where they were at the end of last season at 6-6 six and six and then possibly winning a, a bowl game and, and going 7-6 and six again. I don't think that's an unrealistic uh, um, prediction for them, and I could definitely see it happening. Again, they, they lost to Northwestern last year 23-13, to 13, and that was towards the end of the year. And now they get him at the beginning of this this next season to start things out out of the gate, August thirtieth on that Thursday. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see what team is more prepared and and ready for that game. And 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 like you guys both mentioned, if if they win that game against Northwestern, you could definitely see some excitement towards the end of the season with Purdue possibly fighting Wisconsin uh, for that side of the Big Ten. Right now, I am going to sit and say they'll be still the third best team in this division, unless a dark horse like Nebraska shows itself. But other than that, this team, third best in the division. The ceiling is they win against Northwestern. They have a really good the season. The ceiling is the roof, of yeah, course. Yeah, the ceiling is the roof. Thanks, MJ. Um, but they're battling <laughs> Wisconsin for the division in a Big Ten title berth, most likely against Ohio State is what I will say. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. What do you expect from Purdue this season? Will they be as good as they were last year? Will they be better than last year? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, moving on, we got two teams left. Thank you to Matt again for joining us on the podcast talking about the Purdue Boil, his Purdue Boilermakers. I don't know if you knew this, but Matt's a huge Purdue fan. And if you want to be like Matt again, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast but we turn our attention from purdue to the next team on our preview we're almost to the end brandon we're talking now about chicago's big 10 team god i hate that like yes you're technically located in chicago but most of really if we're really talking about it you know who chicago well technically you're right because you're a big 10 team in chicago but you want to know who Chicago's real college football team is? Notre Dame. Like, let's be completely honest. Notre Dame, more there's more Notre Dame fans in Chicago than Northwestern fans. And, tons and tons of Notre Dame fans. Um, and I know every Northwestern fan just probably clicked off because um, I get salty with that every year. But let's move on. Let's look at this team. I want to ask you, could this Northwestern team, two wins, they were two wins away from... Being the best team in, well, really one. They, if they would have beat Wisconsin last year, then they would have been tied, known the tiebreaker for the Big Ten West. I am just going to be upfront with you: Is this a Northwestern team that could win the West this year? I I can't say that. I absolutely can't say that because. <laughs> I can't say with certainty that Clayton Thorson is healthy. And mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that this season, especially, really rides on his health. It, I mean, if, he if, hopes if, to return for the opener. Well, sure. I mean, but how is he going to be? I mean, you're coming off an mm-hmm. ACL injury that you suffered in the bowl game, which is devastating. It's a terrible injury. And, mm-hmm. and, and not everyone comes back right, quote unquote, yeah. right from that injury. Not everyone Adrian Peterson's at. And just has a record-breaking season after break after tearing that ACL. And some people are never right after mm-hmm. it, and they just don't feel confident on, on with, with their strength on that on that leg and mm-hmm. everything like that. So, 
it, there's a lot of questions around that. Not only is Clayton Thorson a question mark there, but you lose Justin Jackson, who was the program's all-time leading rusher. And I just don't think that you can say with complete confidence that that Northwestern's going to to win this win this uh, side of the conference. And quite honestly, I don't think that Northwestern's going to be able to do it mm-hmm. because there's going to be something in there with with Thorson having a question mark. Other quarterbacks, obviously, they have ready to go and everything like that, just in case they've been working with them. Also, obviously, Justin but, Jackson not being on the team, like he's gone. Their all time leading rusher, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys gone. Well, excuse me. With one of those guys gone and mm-hmm. the other guy coming back from from an injury and Big seeing how, how he how he is, that's I don't want to say I don't want to say with complete certainty that boom done, but I do have to say that there is a big big question mark on it, and if Thorson was healthy, I could absolutely say. I think they're going to finish mm-hmm. one or two. I think they'll finish one or two. Well, but with his his health in question, I, I really think that that's going to be something to monitor. And I, I could see them slipping to three, maybe even four. Well, and I don't think Thorson will play week one. And the reason why I say that is I'm going to read into some comments made by Mick McCall, the offensive coordinator for the Wildcats. And he says, we've thrown a lot at them being the backup quarterbacks. Um, a ton at them, and we have not backed off of any of it. Are they making mistakes? Absolutely. But it's not so much that we have to back off. We've got to go under the assumption that Thorson doesn't play. We think he's going to play, but I don't know. Yeah, you think he's going to play, but like, I'm looking at that under the assumption he doesn't play. I think that's a pretty good assumption because like, it's almost the same conversation they're having in the NFL with basically the Philadelphia Eagles of, do you rush Carson Wentz back? Yeah, he wants to be ready for week one, but will he be ready for week one? The big difference between the NFL and college is that your season starts a week earlier. So that means you have a week less to kind of rehab this injury. I wouldn't be surprised if Thorson doesn't play week one, and then either plays against Duke or Akron as that first game. The biggest thing, though, is that you look at their first game. We talked about it in the Purdue segment. They're at Purdue to start the season. So, like, if you're going to be without Thorson in that game, I might give it to the Boilermakers. And, I mean, I know um, Matt in our last segment mentioned, oh, yeah, like the lines that – negative three for Purdue. So he's like, that's basically just giving it to them because they're the home team. But I don't even like their first, I'll say six games where like, if they don't have Thorson for a good part of it, Purdue could be a loss. Michigan could be a loss. Michigan state could be a loss. And then if you still don't have Thorson against Nebraska, that could be a loss as well. And while I am wearisome of Justin Jackson leaving his backup Jeremy Larkin in his freshman season last mm-hmm. year carried the ball 84 times mm-hmm. he had 503 yards he had five touchdowns and 618 scrimmage yards that's not bad that's not bad he's a guy who brings some kind of big playability lean on that and that's that's what 
Northwestern is going to want to see. If you bring back Thorson, and it's a healthy Thorson, and he's feeling good, and he's making the throws that he needs to make, and he's able to move like he was, or at least very similar to what he was, you could have a, a pretty good offense. And, and and Larkin, again, he's a young guy. He's still got time. He's going to be there for a little bit. It's it's exciting. It's exciting to know that you've got a guy like this coming in after a guy who's, you know, the, the program's all-time leading rusher. You don't just mm-hmm. go to a guy who carried the ball six times. Yeah. This is nice to have. So that's comforting. But still, I, I, I still don't know if that's going to be enough for Northwestern as they, you know, continue on things. And you can have as much talent around the football as possible. But when you still have a question mark at your quarterback position, that's what scares me. And then when you have uh, an offensive line that, you know, struggled last season, you bring them back this year, and you really hope, you really hope that they're going to be be good because they they finished so strongly last year. Mm-hmm. You're going to want your offensive line to really be solid this year. You're going to want to be able to lean on them, especially because Thorson's going to come back, hopefully, and be able to play. You're going to want to protect that quarterback like none other because you do not want to see him get knocked down. You do not want to see that because the last thing you want to see is re-injury. That's the last thing you want to see. A guy that I'm looking at to... I'm almost looking at almost like in a Mike Dudek way um, for Illinois. Maybe it's because they're the same height. But I'm looking at Flynn, Flynn Nagel to be a guy because maybe it's because he's a Chicago product. He's actually a South Suburban product. So, I mean... Right in our Chicagoland area. Um, he's a Lamont kid, third season now with the um, Wildcats. I need to see one of these wide receivers take a jump, either him or the other one being a name I'm going to screw up in, uh, Bennett Shoranak. I hope I said that right. Northwestern fans, let me know if I said it wrong. One of these guys has to make the jump because, like, for Nagel looking at his career stats, Hasn't broken over 500 yards in a season. If you look at last year and the receiving stats, you had Bennett have 644 on 45 receptions, five touchdowns, and then Nagel had 489 on 48 receptions and only two touchdowns. Without having Justin Jackson there, that means you can't lean on him anymore. Um, Larkin is to me, not going to be the same as Justin Jackson. So he's not going to have 1,300 yards. I would say maybe 800 is a good number, a really good number for Larkin this season. Maybe that five touchdown moves up to about nine, eight touchdowns this year. You're going to need a wide receiver, one of these guys, either Bennett or Flynn, to kind of step up and be like, yes, I am going to take the reins in this passing game and be the main target Thorson, the guy when he comes back, but be the main guy for this offense moving forward. I think when you move to the defensive side of things for Northwestern, you're looking at a team that's going to 
to boast a pretty pretty strong defense, I think, throughout all, all levels and all layers of it. You're mm-hmm. looking at a tandem up front that combined for 14 and a half sacks and 16 quarterback hurries last it's got year. got one of my favorite names, and I hope I'm saying it right, Joe Gaziano. Such an Italian name there. You got to roll with it, the junior. <laughs> He's one of my favorite names on this defense. And that's that's comforting. That's comforting for a defense that returns a lot of guys that are uh, that 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 starred last season, mm-hmm. and that you know that they'll remain there again this year. They're they're going to have to take it to the next level, though. They're going to have to step up and 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 be able to get a lot of takeaways mm-hmm. and and really take some pressure off an offense that may have some questions, especially at the beginning of the se- uh, the, the beginning of the season for su- for sure, but. You're you're looking at, at at a very talented defense, and mm-hmm. and and certainly one of the the most talented defenses we've talked about so far. Well, I'm looking at the schedule here, and the thing I, I you guys notice, like I we received a comment, I think it was on the onside kick side of, oh, why does Ricky like looking at the schedule so much? I just love giving wins and losses and kind of looking at where they may be. But like you look at this Northwestern team last year's season, it was rocky at the start, but mainly rocky because. Two of those losses came against top 10 teams in Wisconsin and Penn State. This year's a little bit different. You get, you know, you still have Purdue and Duke right away. You don't get Nevada to start the year. I wonder if this could be a similar year to last year where it's like, hey, you know what? We're a team that starts off, we're a little shaky to start. And then when they hit October 13th, which is around the same weekend they hit, then they go on a string of games where it's basically like, yeah, you know what? We're not that good. We only won two games in our first five. Two one games in our first five, that Duke game being a question mark, but I think that Northwestern should win that. Being two and three heading into the rest of the season, and then basically after the 13th, they just go on a win streak with the only loss being against um, the Wisconsin Badgers. If they have another season like that, then you're looking at it going, all right, we're a four-loss team at the end of the year and still a two-loss team in the Big 12, or Big 10, pardon me. So I look at, you know, again, looking at Northwestern's schedule, I mean, I know you kind of already went through some of mm-hmm. it, but... Michigan pretty early on the first game on the road at Purdue that's that is that is not a game that's going to do you any I don't this it's, team, it's not going to it's not going to do you any favors this I mean team it's just it's, it's not 0 and 3 in conference it's not I'll it's be not honest. it's not going to do you any favors to start conference. the duke game you should win but duke is is you know looking to to boast a, a good defense this season uh, Akron I, I mean I guess I'm I'm more nervous, clearly, about the the Michigan mm-hmm. and Michigan State right back to back, than Wisconsin Notre Dame, at Iowa, all three in a row. Are you worried about Notre Dame this year for them? Because I'm not really. Because I don't know what to expect from Notre Dame this year. Yeah, I mean I'm always going to be be nervous <laughs> well, for a team with Notre is, Dame is because I ex- I expect Notre Dame <laughs> to be good. Um, That's but, your uh, uh, your fighting Irish bias coming out there. But Notre Dame. I mean, if they're if they're like what they were last season, they're go, they'll be competitive. Mm-hmm. They'll be competitive, and uh, you know, you just 
you don't know how they're going to come out. They could come out like the team that played against Miami, mm-hmm. or you could they could come out like the team who had the hype, uh, like the team that played against Miami. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's why those are two really tough stretches. Back to back Michigan, Michigan State, and then three in a row: Wisconsin, Notre Dame, at Iowa. Th- those are those are five games right there that could be losses mm-hmm. for this for this Northwestern team, especially if you don't have your guy, Thorson, at the helm. Yeah, and I mean, I keep looking at it, and I, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. I wouldn't be surprised this team was 0-3 in the conference by October 13th, where it's basically Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State, all losses. The Purdue game is the only one I'm throwing up to Thorson not being there. I think he'll be back by September 8th. If he's not, he'll for sure be back against Akron. So the Michigan-Michigan State game, he won't have to worry about not being there. But, like, if you're 0-3 in conference already, all right, that's one more than we lost last year. Then, like I said, Wisconsin, I for sure think will be a loss. Then, like, you threw it out there. We don't know what we're going to get from Nebraska this year. Yeah, good thing you got them um, at Ryan Field this year. Iowa, you got them on the road. What to expect from them this year? Now, me early on, I'm giving the Wildcats the benefit of the doubt that they'll be able to get it done against both of those teams, but there's just huge question marks this year of, I am going to put my money right now on this season being similar but worse than last season, where you'll see a shaky start to the year, much like you saw last year, but then it's like, all right, October 13th rolls around. We got our superpowers. And then they go basically one, two, three, four, five, six, and one to end the year. We're at right now, I'm looking at it two and three to start, six and one to end. You're looking at that being what, an eight win season? Being eight and four on the year compared to what? They won 10 games. They were 10 and three. Yeah. 10 and three last year. You're about. Eight wins this year. If you win your bowl game, you're at nine wins. And you're one win short of where you were last year. I think that eight wins is more likely for Northwestern this Mm -hmm. season. Before bowl game or after bowl game? After. Okay. After bowl game. I think think eight wins is, is more likely for them in terms of some of the changes that they have going on. Even with a good defense... A team that again, I, I and I'm still going with the question marks at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Again, if Thorson was completely healthy, had no injury, I'd say they probably end up around where they where they did last season, if mm-hmm. not possibly better. But because of because of the injury to him and the big question mark there, I I I'd put it at eight wins. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below what do you guys think for your Northwestern Wildcats this season. How far will Thorson be out? How soon will he be back from the ACL injury? What do you expect from this offense? What do you expect from the defense? And what do you think about the schedule, especially those first five games we talked about and having Purdue off the bat on the road, Michigan and Michigan State within your first five? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, it is time to end the show. Looking at the last team, the Big Ten West champions from last year, the Wisconsin Badges. And this one's easy to start off with because this team 
should be back in action, right? Like, they should be the clear favorite to win the West only because alone that I look on offense, they're returning 10 of 11 of their starters that played in the Orange Bowl. 10 of them are back. Is this team going to be the all-favorite to win the West this year still? Yeah, absolutely they're going to <laughs> be. Like, I mean, there's— Yeah, there's, end the segment. We're done. Well, <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Wisconsin. You're going to win. Good for you. And you still won't make the playoffs. Ooh. Um, no, that's— That's a, that's that, a rough that, shot. That's a, that's a joke. But um, here's the thing, is that if Wisconsin, if you're able to— repeat mm-hmm. what you did last season and you know just absolutely come out and do what you need to do you should definitely have people talking about you for the playoff you mm-hmm. should i mean if everything goes right the way that it should be if alex hornerbrook is able to you know limit his his interceptions maybe up his touchdowns a little bit if jonathan taylor continues to be the absolute stud that he is I don't see this team not being in the conversation for the playoff. I just don't. I I think that this is going to be something really good. Another great season. And and, and people have compared this offense and this Mm -hmm. team to the Russell Wilson Monty Ball season. Where they they were scoring 44 points a game Mm -hmm. back in 2011. Back in 2011. And... That makes for just absolute huge expectations, mm-hmm. but expectations that I think this team can certainly meet. Now, here's a question on the other side. Offense, they should be fine. 10 of 11 starters coming back. I'm going to hit you with the other trick question on the other side. Do you still feel the same way defensively where they're going to have to replace eight starters? Or is this just going to be a team that's like, defense, what's that? We'll just outscore you. Um, well, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be be one of those. Yes, I mean, It's I not think the that... Big 12. They'll play some defense. They'll play more defense than the Big 12. It's it's the Big 10. <laughs> you have to play yes. defense, I think, to be in it. Um, but it's a requirement. It is. It, it certainly they put is. it on the resume before you come in. Defense, check. It's a requirement. So Nebraska almost got kicked out after yeah. last season. Um, but... This is a team where they're going to score a lot of points. We we mm-hmm. already can foresee that, or or should yeah. be able to foresee Looking that. Into that crystal ball. Yes, defensively, you're they're probably not going to be as stellar as, as I was going to say as porous as you might think they okay. might be. Um, but are they going are they going to be a, as good as they were as they as as they were last year? Losing those pieces. It remains to be seen because you have to fill in the holes. You have mm-hmm. to fill in those gaps. But yeah. Wisconsin is definitely a team where I'm not I'm not worried. But while defense has kind of been the thing the last couple of seasons, I, I, I think that there might be a little cause for concern. But but because the offense should mm-hmm. be so good and is expected to be so good. Um, I think that kind of hides it, you know, hides the fact that the defense may not be as good as what they've been the last couple of years. And and I don't want it to be to be, well, you're scoring so many points. So who cares about the defense? Because if it came to playoff time, folks, that's not going to be the mindset to have. Yeah. Um, 
because Clemson tried to have that mindset and it didn't work this past season. No, it didn't. Um, Alabama in the playoffs, so. just rolled all over them. Maybe, maybe we'll forget about defense and we'll score. Mm-hmm. But they forgot to score and they forgot to play defense. So, so, so that's so that's where it comes down to. Yeah, you might be able to get away with that throughout the regular season. Um, and when you when you look at Wisconsin's um, when we take a look at Wisconsin's schedule, we can talk about that a little bit more. But when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, and you need to get into the playoff, and 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 you do. Let's say you're the fourth team and the third team and whatever it might be for Wisconsin if they have the the season that we expect them to to have. Mm-hmm. That's the time when you need to to not get kicked out right away. You need to be able to play some defense. You're going to have to play defense against those teams that you'll be facing. Here's the reason why, first off, Jinx, you owe me a Coke because we both said uh, so at the same time. But here's the thing I'm worried about when it comes to the schedule is I don't think Wisconsin's going to do the same thing they did last year. I do not think they go 12-0 and and walk right into the Big Twelve or the Big 10 title game. Damn, it's the second time I did that on this podcast, calling them the Big 12, but... The reason why I say that is I look at the schedule and last year their teams from the East that they were playing in the crossover, Michigan, Indiana, Maryland. Michigan, the only tough one. This year, they get Michigan. This time it's on the road, not at home. They get Penn State on the road. They get Rutgers at home. I think this year looking at Wisconsin based off of the how, how much they have to replace on defense, I could possibly see this team being a two-loss team after the regular season with losses at Michigan, at Penn State. That would still be enough to win the West. That answers that question. I think they win the West. I do not favor Purdue over them, although that's on the road also. I don't favor Northwestern over them although that's on the road also for Wisconsin, so add that, if you want, to the toughness of the schedule. Iowa's also on the road. So there's some tough road games this year for Wisconsin that won't be easy wins, but the only ones I'm really thinking will be losses are Michigan and Penn State. The question to me isn't the will they win the West. It's can they compete with the East. That is my question because... Last year, they, yeah, they beat the East in the regular season, but Michigan was your toughest opponent, and by that time, Michigan wasn't who we thought they would be. Then you ran into Ohio State, and it's like, ooh, damn, we ran into a real team in the Ohio State Buckeyes. I know they only beat you by six, so don't get too angry. But this year, I feel like they'll lose to Michigan, lose to Penn State, then play one of them even Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, and that to re- that to me is really the question of this season will be dictated about what they do against Michigan, Penn State, and maybe Ohio State in 2018. So you're going to call me crazy one. Because you're going to say they're going to win everything? And think I'm just nuts, too. Undefe- which is the same undefeated thing. Undefeated Wisconsin which is the for the same national thing. championship. They're going to beat the dogs in the national championship. Georgia loses to Wisconsin. That's what you're going to say. Or even crazier, Lane Kiffin and Florida Atlantic get into the national title <laughs> game and Wisconsin beats them. That's what you're going to say. Rematch of last year. I like it. A little crazy, but I like it. Go ahead, though. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way, for people who can't tell sarcasm, but go ahead. 
I do think that Wisconsin's going to go undefeated in the regular season. All right. I do think that Wisconsin will go undefeated there. It's going to be tougher than last year, though. It's going to be tougher than last year, and the reason why it's going to be tougher is because the road games against the the two toughest opponents, the, the, the games against the two toughest opponents are on the road. Mm-hmm. But you're not having to deal with a team that has Saquon Barkley anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for that reason alone, Penn State is not as good. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. While they're still a good team, and they will be a good team, they're not as good. Mm. They lost Saquon Barkley. It's, they hard, lost to, it's a, hard to play in Happy Valley, though. I understand. It's, really it's not hard to happy, play in Happy Valley. But I, I, I get that when you look at Saquon Barkley's departure, mm-hmm. you look at everything that went with him. The return yards, the return touchdowns, the receiving yards, the receiving touchdowns, the rushing yards, the rushing touchdowns, and the passing touchdown that came every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yet you... Still have a solid quarterback. You still have a guy who you you can get really excited about and who can lead your team. Mm-hmm. But with the loss of Barkley, you lose a lot. So I, I look at Wisconsin as this offense has gotten better. Penn State's has lost some. Uh, it's almost like when the Buckeyes lost Ezekiel Elliott. Could you make that comparison? Yeah, I, it'll I think, almost I, be like when they I lost Zeke. I absolutely think you could. And then when you look at Michigan, while Michigan, I do think will be improved mm-hmm. um, from what they from what they were last season, a season that was. Well, they actually have a quarterback now. They got Shea Patterson. Yeah, they do. And Shea Patterson, as as we've talked about, is, mm-hmm. is a good quarterback, a solid quarterback, and one who I think you can put your trust in mm-hmm. as long as there's no injuries. I still have the question mark with Michigan at how good will they be this season and again i look at what wisconsin is now that defense is going to be the thing of question i'm looking more from the offensive standpoint is wisconsin will can put up points on them wisconsin can put up points on them defensively they are going to have to be able to hold their own that's that's going to be without a doubt mm-hmm. but they could also be one of those defenses, and I'm not saying that they will be, but I'm saying that because the offense is slated to be so good and has so much talent returning, that they could have a bend but does but do not break defense. Okay. Where we've seen teams do that all the time. Where, mm-hmm. yeah, they give up some points, but they never they never give up that really big play mm-hmm. or that 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 uh, conversion that just killed them. They they held their own for most of the game and they kept their team in it. Yeah. I think that that's what we can probably expect from uh, the Wisconsin Badgers this season. But I I just don't think that uh, they're going to lose any games in the reg in, in the regular season. I I don't I don't I don't see it. I mean, in the first three games, those are all wins. Mm-hmm. You're on the road at an Iowa team that isn't as good defensively. You're home against a Nebraska team that. Scott Frost said it. We have to fix everything. You're going to win. On the road at Michigan, like I said, if they're going to be better, but they're not going to be great. You play Illinois, and it's sad for Illinois. You're on the road at Northwestern, a team that is going to have a phenomenal defense, but are they going to be able to put up points on you because is their quarterback, is, is Thorson going to be there? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be the guy? Mm-hmm. Rutgers, again, that's... That's a game that you absolutely should win. Don't ask Purdue. They lost by two last year. <laughs> On the road at Penn State, I talked about them. You have no Barkley. You lose. You've lost so much production. Uh, again, I'm not saying that when we get to Penn State, Penn State fans who, who watch this, they do hope, 
Hopefully they didn't. But they're, let's they're, hope they're like they're, the Florida State fans that'll say, "Let's get back to this one at the end of the year." They're, they're, they're going to prove you wrong. They're going to say that Brandon, just because we lost one talented guy, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're you can write us completely off. Well, I'm not writing you completely off because I'm saying that you still have a really good quarterback, you still have good receivers, and you still have uh, pieces there that can be competitive. But I am saying that Wisconsin just has more. So Wisconsin wins that game. On the road at Purdue, while Purdue is, I still think, going to be competitive, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the likes of the Badgers. And then you're home against Minnesota, a team, again, still trying to figure it out. So the thing I'm going to cut for you me, off really on, quick. on paper, Wisconsin looks like they should win them The all. thing I'm going to cut you off really quick and just interject Penn State. I know we'll get to them next week, but the big question for them is, all right, you don't have Saquon Barkley more pressure is now going to be on Trace McSorley, or as I like to call him, McSworley, because he's swole. Um, but, like, there's going to be more pressure on him this year because he doesn't have a guy like Saquon Barkley behind him. The way I see this Wisconsin season is, yeah, I said two losses, but that's just what I'm thinking. The window is undefeated to two losses. I don't think they lose a single game in the division. I think if they lose games, all of them will come from the Big Ten beast. You're looking at a completely stacked Wisconsin team. Mm -hmm. Completely stacked Wisconsin team. You look at a team that, because one of their wide receivers ended up injured last season for five games or or whatever it was, um, you, you ended up adding in four more new guys who are absolutely incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. I, I think that just you look at that and you think, you know, that's that's a great that's a great way to start this season with everything that they built on at the end of last year. You found more more productivity from guys who probably weren't going to get the chances. They did get the chances. They returned the guy who was injured, and boom. Now you got five. Mm-hmm. You got five great options. It, just receiver. I'll ask you this. If they do go to, let's say they do go undefeated, first off, double question. First off, who are they playing from the Big Ten East? Not a not a hold you to a prediction, just the right now who you can see winning that division. And this Wisconsin team, if they go undefeated this year and win the Big Ten, do you think they'd be a for sure team to get into the college football playoff? The team that I think that they'll be playing from the East is Penn State. Okay. And that's just an We'll give kind our, of a we'll give it's, it's not a, like you said, later. it's not a hold you to it, but it's mm-hmm. more of a that's how I feel What's right, the gauge now. right now. That's that's yeah. my gut right now. Is Penn State from the East. Mm-hmm. And then my thought is Wisconsin will win, will beat them, and Wisconsin will be a legitimate threat to go into the playoffs, mm. to be a team for the playoffs. And I know you guys probably were like, Brandon, screw this guy, but because he was uh, you know, making that, that dig at us at the beginning. Well, you guys are good. So I I I was obviously joking at the dig. Well, it kind of did suck last year, but you know, you look at you look at this team, you look at its talent, and mm-hmm. you think, my, my my whole thing is, why not? 
why not Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you have to give me enough reasons to say why not than to say, well, why would they? Well, why, why wouldn't they is, is, is the number one question. They have a ton of talent. They have question marks defensively, but I think it's a, I still don't think it's, it's a dire thing where it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is falling. What are we going to do on defense? We've got to find all these guys and fill all these holes and do all this. And who's going to be the next man up? No, no, I, I just don't think it's going to be that you're going to have some different guys. You may have some questions in terms of depth, but mm-hmm. they'll, they'll figure it out. And you have the offense that will be able to put up the points while they're doing that. And I can't remember which team you mentioned this on for this preview, but I'm going to use this same point for Wisconsin. Wisconsin, for especially the guys on offense that are coming back, the 10 of 11 starters we mentioned, they're going to remember last year. They're going to remember how they were 12-0, and sitting in those college football playoff rankings at number four, the last team in the rankings. All they had to do was beat a two-loss Ohio State team, and they would have been in the playoff. In the playoff. And they lost. Those guys are going to remember that, and that is going to be one of the good things for Wisconsin this year is I feel like this team is going to use that as motivation. Hey, we were one game last year away from the playoff. Like, if they would have won that game, think about it this way. If they would have won that game, so week 14, we had the first six teams, Clemson, Auburn, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Alabama, and Georgia. After that weekend, it would have been Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, because they had won the SEC title, Alabama wouldn't have gotten in. It would have been Wisconsin. Well, a lot of people, I a know. lot of people to this day say that Alabama shouldn't that have Ohio gotten State in. should have gotten in. Many people are saying, well, because they were the next team out. The next two teams out were Ohio State and then Wisconsin. But like they win that game, they are in that spot. Now, I'm not saying that correlation is there, but I can see how fandom makes you believe this. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Wisconsin fans out there that are going, we would have won that game. Then look at how bad Clemson played against Alabama. We could have beat them. And then anything could have. Like, Alabama won the championship. We could have won the championship. You were not going to beat the dogs. That's why earlier you thought I was just throwing out Georgia just to throw out Georgia. I wasn't throwing that out because that would have been the national championship last year if Wisconsin could have beat Ohio State. It could have been Wisconsin versus the dogs for the national championship last year. That's why I brought them into it. I, I, I'm throwing some deep ones in there. I'm making you guys think with some of these digs, some of these jokes. Any final thoughts on the Badgers to close up this podcast? No, I just I, I'm 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 sticking by my Wisconsin goes twelve and zero. They win the Big Ten. They're a playoff team, and then we'll see what happens from there. So I'm going all, I'm going with it. I am sticking with it. So we all know that we'll see if Brandon changes his mind by the time we get to our playoff predictions, where we predict the playoff teams and what we think the national championship will be. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think about your Wisconsin Badgers down below in the comment section. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. Housekeeping here at the end. Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast to help 
support the channel. And also, thank you to Matt for his support. He was on the podcast today. You want to be like him? Check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. You can also get a t-shirt, help support the podcast, and you can rep MVP wherever you go. That's stored down below in the description as well, or you can get it at most valuable, po- most valuable podcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then the last thing for housekeeping is that Apple Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. I'll get it right one Apple of these Apple iTunes Podcast. Apple <laughs> iTunes. Just either one you got. Make sure to give us a five-star rating for the Primetime Podcast. Make sure to write a little something-something about why you like listening to us. Because apparently right now, anyone who checks it out just thinks we're a couple of good old boys that just talk about the SEC. <laughs> you bring that up we, every time. But we don't. We're, we talk every single the, time you bring up that comment. <laughs> we didn't, because it's the only one. We did. We just did an entire podcast on the Big Ten. So apparently we're not good old boys that just talk about the SEC. Well, the people who don't know us well, aren't going to know that. He only watched one podcast. Oh, I know that. But, uh, and was, was unhappy but Brandon, with it because we talked about Tennessee. I get that. But what I'm saying is someone comes across our podcast, they're going to think we're good old boys that just talk about the SEC. That's why you guys need to go set the story straight and let them know why you like listening to the podcast. But I want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. I want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.